Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little odd. This is the movies music and gaming and today i'm here with dreadful dan hello dan sorry i can't understand you mm. uh, well this might be the start oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've been waiting all week to say that oh god so so niche um <laughs> and yes we've been uh in case that wasn't a hint enough <laughs> Um, or if you, you know, you could just read the title of this episode. We're talking about Tears for Fears, The Hurting. Do you want to do this do you want to um did you because i've got some bits and pieces which we can chat through before we go into like a bit of a track by track thing um, yeah should i just kind of go through some of my bits and you can interject and yeah that's perfect um so i guess uh it was um how do i say it so how do I, where do i start uh i believe it was released in march 1983 yes i remember it well yes which was the month of my birth. I believe, I don't know if you got the exact date when it was actually released. Wikipedia says the 7th. 7th. So I was the, I'm not going to say my um, actual date, but let's just say it was um, 
it's very close to that day um, when I was actually born. I was actually born. Um, <laughs> this is where like anyone who's going to try and copy my details. And um, I was, I, I remember this very well coming out. So uh, <laughs> Sam had to catch up on, on this one. Yeah, so I, was, I was a little bit behind. I was, I was there. I was at the uh, Hammersmith Ballroom rocking out with the boys. <laughs> going, is it an horrific dream? <laughs> it's your first words. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so this is the, this is the first album by Tears of Fears. Um, so who are Tears of Fears? It's, uh, and I haven't got this written down. I'm just going to kind of wing it. Um, Roland, how do you say it? Roland Orzabel? Orzabel? Orzabel, Orzabel. And Kurt Smith. And uh, people said that back in the day, I looked a lot like a young, uh, Kurt Smith and yes. facially similar, I would say. Um, and basically they both came, um, well, they both were around from Bath. I think Roland grew up in Portsmouth really and then moved to Bath. And then um, basically they were like around a mate's house or something. And Kurt was singing along with the Blue Oyster Cult um, record. Don't fear the reaper. Well, apparently it was, I can't remember what the song was, but apparently it wasn't, it wasn't one of the hits, let's say. And, um, yeah. And, uh, Roland was like, Oh, do you want to start a band? I need a singer. He's like, okay. And then apparently like they were doing this band thing and, um, uh, the bassist walked out. So Roland was like, can you play bass? And he was like, I can learn. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So he learned to play bass. And, um, yeah, so they came from, they had a bit of a funny um, history. Kurt was very uh, working class. I think he, he says that his, his mum worked in boots. Um, and yeah, he's, I can't remember what he said his dad did. Maybe he was a teacher or something, I can't remember. Um, I don't even think he was a teacher, but whatever. And uh, yeah, basically lived on a council estate. They didn't have a phone, like literally. Wow. So if ever Roland needed to like talk to him, he had to actually physically go there. Or if Kurt wants to talk to Roland, you have to walk to the phone box um, to have to speak oh, wow. to him. So he got quite poor. Apparently Kurt was a bit of a um, rebellious one as well. Uh, I think the first time Roland went round, Kurt wasn't allowed out because he had just had a fight and pushed some kid down the stairs of the council estate or something like that. Right, um, which, which you wouldn't really think of when you look at these like two lovely young boys that are part of his yeah, and a lot of this stuff I'm kind of gleaning from. I read a really cool article on uh, the website The Quietus, um, which had it was basically just a um, yeah, it was like a interview basically written down, uh, and I just kind of speed read through that and it came and that was quite, a lot of quite cool stuff about the early days, and also yeah, this BBC documentary on um, songs in the big chair, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, Roland had a bit of a different one, so Roland's. Uh, Dad was basically um, like a entertainment agent or something, but a really shit one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he like he got very ill and he couldn't really work, and he he was beating up his mum, and uh, then they split up. And his mum was literally she used to train strippers, so um, there'd be this bunch of strippers like coming to his house, and she and his mum would just be training them on how to strip. So no very. Way. Yeah, very strange. Because this was my number one question coming into this episode. Because mm. as much as I love The Hurting, and it's probably, I consider it in my top 10 albums of all time, and as much as I like the other stuff they did, I've never dug around into them 
and their mm. background. Well, I'm um, glad I can fill you in a bit. On, yeah, on this. But especially around this, you know, the themes of the album being mm. so, you know, it, it wears it all on its sleeve, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, very much so. Uh, child abuse stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, the number one thing I was thinking, like, what actually happened to these guys? Yeah. What are they actually trying to exercise with this record? So that is really um, illuminating, actually. Yeah, I think they both had, like, dad issues, put it that way, but... Um, by the sounds of it, like Roland was, a, um, even though he, I think he had like more money, he wasn't necessarily as poor, but um, he had like, sounds like a bit more of a difficult childhood with the divorce and the domestic abuse and um, the stripper thing. <laughs> it's just uh, a bit weird. But part of it was that um, one of the good things, I suppose, out of it is that where's dad, where's dad's role, there would always be like these weird like musical acts and like singers and all this stuff. And, um, you know, so he was kind of around that. Um, and I think that kind of maybe, um, you know, like got him going a little bit in terms of a musical career. So that's quite interesting. So basically, um, they, uh, formed graduate, uh, which was their first band. And that was very like kind of specials. If anyone knows the specials, like scar punk, like and there's there's a performance of them playing on a like chat show or whatever which you can check out and um it's very like energetic and it's there it's like the song is actually like good um for for a ska punk uh song of that of that nature and they were like 16 or something at the time oh really yeah and like that's sorry gone so, so i think the the first time i saw this cuz i I'd, I'd heard about their earlier stuff it was only really with YouTube that this stuff kind of uh, became mm. accessible. Yeah. First time I saw that, I couldn't believe it. I think their big hit single was Elvis Should Play Scar. I think that's probably yeah, what they're doing like on that Spanish yeah. TV yeah. show. Yeah. It's so, pretty good, isn't it? But it is so... I mean, it, it sounds exactly like every other new wave pop band of the era. Yeah. And they're, they're really emulating... I mean, they're singing about it as well. They are emulating Elvis Costello. Yeah, definitely. And there was, I think you showed it to me, actually, the first time I saw this. Um, but yeah, they got, so they got hit in Spain, like a proper top 10 hit with Graduate, with that song. And they became like stars. Like, So they're only like 16 and they start getting like the screaming girls outside and all this for like a fleeting five minutes. Um, but Amazing. apparently the people who they were signed to were like a singles label. So they didn't. They literally just churn the shit out all the time. They weren't interested in doing albums or anything like that. It was just like we just want a single. We just want a hit song. And um, Roland was like, "Yeah, fuck this, basically." And also the fact that there was like five people in the band, and Roland yeah. being the key songwriter, basically like it's it's quite evident. Um, not that Kurt's like nothing, but like Roland is the very much like the key person in Tears for Fears. Like it's a songwriter, um, and yeah, Kurt is more like an added element and they work together or whatever. But if you speak to anyone like surrounding it, it's like, yeah, Roland is basically the, it's his fist. He's, <laughs> he's the songwriter and the, and the producer, isn't he, I suppose? Yeah, he, it's um, in his head and everything yeah. else kind of like surrounds it. But anyway, so... Um, they did do an album though, didn't they, Graduate? Uh, they might have done, but um, they yeah, do. they probably they probably did. Uh, but I don't think I think by that point Roland was like, yeah, fuck this, um, and uh, yeah, so it was like, yeah, imagine he was like, imagine me and Kurt, 
um, having trouble and like me having to argue my point all the way. Now imagine that with five people who believe they're like got an equal part in the band and you're just like, I just didn't want that. <laughs> so he was like, I'm out. And then he said to Kurt or Kurt said to him, whatever, oh, can I come? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so then they formed, so they formed what was Tears for Fears. And basically they, that's when they kind of got rid of the guitars and they started playing with the synth stuff. And then um, there was a guy, I think he's called Ian Stanley, who yes. was basically a rich bloke in Bath and he had his own little um, eight-track studio in his uh, parents' house, basically, by the sounds of it. And uh, they went there and they recorded a few tracks, recorded a demo, basically. Um, and he got the attention of uh, of a, a label exec, I can't remember the guy's name, um, and they basically signed them up to do The Hurting. Uh, amazing. Mm. And they recorded the hurting, um, again, this is me just kind of remembering stuff. Um, they did, so they, rec- they basically, every time, <laughs> depending on who you speak to, I think this is my, more going into maybe the big chairs. I might be getting this bit confused. But um, as soon as they had kind of done a song, by the sounds of it, it was like, we need to like release it. <laughs> um, and yeah, when they went in to cut the hurting, it was um, in Abbey Road, I think. And they say that it was a very long and torturous um, recording session because basically they were staying up really super late trying to get these songs done rather than just being a bit more effective with their time and like just make sure they got some sleep and came back the next day like a bit fresh. But they didn't want to like lose the vibe of the song and all this stuff. And uh, I guess like the one big thing about it and why it's called The Hurting, etc., is that they took a lot of influence from the Arthur Janov I think it's Janov or Yanov or whatever book, um, The Primal Scream, uh, which is basically saying that the reason you're so fucked up is because of your parents, in a nutshell. <laughs> um, and they've said since that they, well, they actually met him and, uh, yeah, and he was part of this like whole California scene. And this is the whole thing of like, you know, when you see like go outside and just scream and get it out, like he's the kind of creator of that. And John Lennon was a big fan and swore by him. And then, yeah, they read this book and were like, oh, this is it. This is the answer to like why I'm such a mess. Um, it's my parents' fault, basically. And then, um, yeah, they've said since, they're like, it's complete bollocks. So, yeah, they met this guy and he was like, yeah, I want to do a musical. Can you write it? Can you write the music for it? And they were like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> they're like, what's going on? Like, we thought you were like an intellectual. It's like, oh, okay, you're just another like American fucking, like trying to get your money and fame and celebrity yeah. and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, they've said since that it's like after having kids and the same, I've got kids, um, is that, you know, you're not born a blank slate. You are already ingrained with a personality as soon as you come out. So it's, you can't just blame it completely on uh, nurture. Um, there is an element of nature to it as well, which kind of goes against what the book says. Um, so they took a lot from that anyway, back in the day, and they made some pretty poppy and yet dark songs and as we've talked about before Dan like I love these like triumphant like jubilant melodies and songs and like you know about like you know against adversity and all this stuff and um but with really like sad kind of downer lyrics it is a really like cool balance and Tears for Fears just like fucking nail it perfectly especially on this album I think Mm. Dark but danceable. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I think that's kind of... 
Uh, I guess like a, I don't know what we're we going to do for Nerd's Corner, Dan. Um, well, I was going to have a look at the um, special anniversary box set. Uh, we can cover all the kind of B sides, remixes, bits and bobs, maybe. Yeah, great. Let's do that because I've had a listen to that anyway. So that's good because I was going to cool. talk about how it's been. There's been a few like iterations of it um, of this album, like released. Uh, It'd be good to maybe think about. Um, I don't know, like what did, what did this album mean to you? Because I remember we listened to this a lot, mm. like around the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I had um, I had all these Tears of Fears albums on vinyl. If you remember, um, do you remember? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, can't recall. So I think I don't think I bought them. I think I was given to them. Given them, I was basically given a whole bunch of vinyl by my stepdad's brother. I know you had the singles. Because yeah, I, I remember singles, you, yeah. you had the green uh, Pale Shelter. Yes, inch. yeah, I think so. Which yeah, I I've don't got, have. <laughs> I've got Mad World as well, which isn't like no biggie, because there's probably tons of those flying around. But yeah, I had, um, I definitely had songs from The Big Chair and The Hurting on a very battered uh, 12 inch. And I'm pretty sure I got that from my, I think it was a mixture of my stepdad's brother and charity shops. Um, They're and, a good charity shop band. Yeah. For a time, weren't they? You'd always spot them. I I got to a point where if I ever I saw a songs from the big chair, I'd buy it. And I think really? I've got I think I've got four copies of it. That's great. <laughs> um well yeah, I've definitely I've definitely got one at least. Um and uh yeah, it I guess so yeah, what does it what does it mean? So the cover basically is um it's a very like it's very much of the time, but it's a beautiful, like, Tears of Fears, the hurting, like, italic kind of cal- calligraphy um, spelling. And it's got some little child. It always thought, I always thought it looked like the kid from The Shining, Danny, <laughs> um, basically crying in the corner. Essentially, well, hands covering his eyes, we're looking like he's crying. If this, like, huge white album sleeve, it's just this little boy um, in the corner just crying. And I, it always, like, to this day, like, I look at it and I just think it's a very, like, bold brave cover for an album and it's perfectly like in sync with what is happening because it is essentially like a concept album they've kind of said that that it's a a concept album and it's in its own strange way um yeah and i believe and i believe it and i guess like this was um even though i'd heard the hits from songs and uh from the big chair and the general tears of his you know radio friendly stuff uh, this was the first album I got of theirs that I listened to. Um, and it kind of started me on the journey, like properly, basically, because it um, really struck that note of just like, this is a, these are really great songs. And it is that thing of like being a youth mm. and, you know, kind of being like, the world is a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> basically, um, I hate my parents or whatever. And, uh, yeah, but at the same time doing it across these like great songs. Um, but on top of that, it's a bit, it's a bit different from that. Cause it's not like punk or something where it's like an angry, like fuck you or something. It's a very sad, introspective, reflective. Um, yeah, I keep using the word melancholy, but it's, it's true, but, um, uh, it really is. It's like gentle. it's grieving. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about like the anger about it. Like there are some songs just to kind of talk about it, but as you said, yeah, it's about the grieving. It's literally about like the hurt and the pain 
and isolation. Yeah. Coming through. Yeah. And just like the fragility of like human nature and um, very emotive. And like, yeah, as we were saying on the, like we chatted about in the Minnesota, like this is, these were kids that wrote this. You know what I mean? They're like, by this point, they were like, well, some of these songs were written like since they were 18 or whatever, like between 18 to 21 or whatever, 22 or whatever. Um, so yeah, like young, uh, young guys basically writing about very, um, you know, strong, heady stuff that usually kind of comes with experience rather than, um, yeah, like youthful ignorance or something. And it's weird because it's like when I, you know, when you hear like all these like pop songs or everything and it's talking about like, you know, oh, my heart got broken, love and all this stuff. And it just feels like disingenuous. Whereas with this, it feels very like honest. And um, I know like Roland says a little bit like, like oh, it's, it's like, I wasn't kind of, I wasn't, I basically wasn't really feeling like that. It was just, you know, um, it was kind of like a reaction to the book and like, and all this. And I just wanted to kind of get that across. It's, you know, mm. I'm not, I'm not like suicidal, like the line, like the dreams of which and dying are the best I ever had. It's not like a, oh, I want to kill myself kind of thing. But then Cause I that's was, what it comes off yeah. like. And that's what I was saying is like listening to it again, I'm thinking, God, like, what is going on with these guys? Um, Cause it's really intense and it's, mm. you know, it doesn't uh, mix its words. Mm. And it is, I think it's like super brave because that's the thing as well. I think it came in a time in my life at least where, and this is, you know, getting, you know, personal, but like where you are coming to terms with the fact that you are having dark thoughts that you're just not used to. Um, And they're about the world and yourself and how you feel about yourself and just like you're becoming, you know, your own person and you don't know who that is and it doesn't feel right and you know you're kind of trying to get used to like social interactions and like relationships and love and you know sex and like you know what what's happening all the in-between bits and just general stuff of like you know what do I want to do in my life like I'm at school (laughs) like you know like what's happening and just all this kind of confusion and stuff and yeah like with that comes like you know it's very easy to get depressed at that age and stuff and yeah having those dark thoughts but you you very rarely hear them spoken with that kind of what sounds like at least like a kind of truth or honesty but also in something that is um you know and that's what I was saying about like coming up against adversity and kind of beating it because these songs are jubilant they're not just like you know I want to kill myself I hate myself and all this stuff it's like they're poppy, they're dancey, they're light. Well, not light, but they're, um, you know, they're catchy. And it's stuff that you can, like, almost sing with pride. And yet it's about something that's very personal um, to you as a person. And it strikes that chord, I think, with each person that listens to it, is that each person that listens to it, it's talking about something that feels very personal to them, very much about that inner turmoil that people have. And it's someone singing it out loud in these great songs and people, it really resonates with people, I think. I think what's interesting there is that it's, um, you know, came out at a time when there was very much like a, a pop world and this was synth pop. Um, and so you've got them kind of like being presented as these kind of like quite dour young guys with this very gloomy, introspective album. But they're being talked about in smash hits. Mm. It's like, you know, 
pretty Kurt likes uh, the colour yellow. That's his favourite. And um, I remember when I first got into this, because I've got an older brother and sister, I kind of remember a lot of this uh, 80s pop. And so, and I really, really remember the Seeds of Love because yeah. my sister loved that and she would play it all the time, that album. Yeah, um, But, I, you know, that's then later on and it's a, they're a very different, I think, yeah, band at that piece. point. Yeah. Very different, yeah. Music, different ambition. Um, and I wasn't as familiar with this early stuff. And so I think I was quite surprised, really. It's, yeah, if if you know that, and and then maybe you know, everybody wants to rule the world, and some of that like bigger, yeah, bigger pop music. Um, mm. To hear this kind of like dark, very synthy stuff, um, yeah, it's pretty different. And I, I, I presume it was then you who probably got me into this, and I was probably thinking, a, eh? because we, you know, we like Nirvana and um, some kind of like punk stuff. Mm. Probably, and then yeah. it's like oh, here's some like eighties pop music that my sister likes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then this probably opened up the doors for like Depeche Mode, yeah, um, and Smiths, yeah, stuff that- like that. So they were a bit of a gateway band, I think, for me to kind of go go back to the eighties. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of eighties stuff and cheesy eighties as well. I love all that, but. Um, yeah, they, they kind of talk about how people were looking for like the next Joy Division and ah. they felt like they might tick it. But yeah, as you said, they're like two pretty boys who look very um, like innocent. They look like boy next door kind of like thing. Um, and, you know, especially like on songs from the big chair, like album cover, it looks like they wouldn't say boo to a goose, like very... It's like they're like authors or something like ridiculous. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and they've done the smash hits thing. And then basically they were saying that as soon as you do that and you start appealing to this like pop market, um, like enemy doesn't want to know you. Like they were all about the Smiths and like whatever, Echo and the Bunnymen or whatever at that time. And that Tears of Fears weren't basically seen as that cool in England. Um, yeah. So they did their... Uh, it's quite interesting. We'll go into the album in a sec, but like, because all this was done on since, and then the album, the uh, record label, were like, yeah, you have to like bring in a band. We got to like get you touring, <laughs> so we got to like recreate all this stuff as a band, um, which is all very interesting. And then that's when they were like, yeah, we're going to take you to America and change your sound a little bit. You know, um, then tell them to change the sound, but they did a little bit. But Roland was like, yeah, cool. Um, you know, I've got all this stuff. Fine, they put them with new producers, uh, new producers, I think, or whatever producers who can, um, yeah, kind of add a bit more to it. And then they went off and conquered America, basically. But yeah, like during their time here in England, like they'd done their John Peel session, for instance, which is yeah. one of the um, you know things on the Super Deluxe Edition, or whatever this album. They've got like a live CD of it. Yeah, we'll um, get to those. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so they. Um, they were kind of wanted to be, they didn't want to be seen as cool, but they didn't really kind of fit in and like Depeche Mode and Soft Cell and Gary Newman were kind of doing all this stuff. Um, And they were like, yeah, we don't know if we essentially fit right. (laughs) Like at this kind of moment in time. Um, One of the things with them is that they never seemed like 
preening or pretentious. Mm. Like when you and when you hear Roland speaking as well, he sounds so kind of like yeah, like almost like downtrodden. Yeah, yeah. It's just like yeah, and then we did this and that, and that was quite good. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I mean, so I they, can imagine he would have like hated all of that, like the whole smash hits and any kind of like promotion. Yeah. Just doesn't seem. And like when you look at the backs of the singles, he often writes liner notes, and they're really like um, self-deprecating and, and quite quite dry. Oh, really? Yeah. So he really does seem like someone who would have hated all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Well, that was it. I think um, it was a bit weird. Like they're like we write pop songs with like really dark, moody lyrics, as you said, and we're in smash hits. So, like, so where do we? Where do we put these guys? That, and they're just two like pretty boys or whatever. Um, but all that I think adds to like just the weird amalgamation, as you said, of what was going on at the time. And it's things like yeah. there's one bit actually when they talk about um, they talk about shout, which I know songs in the big chair, and they say like how um, at that point like they've got the guitar solo at the end of shout. It's like one, it's weird to have a guitar solo at the end of the song, really even yeah. though it's so fucking good. And the, the video of him standing on the cliff doing it can be fucking slash <laughs> any day of the week. Yeah. Fuck that. And, um, uh, and yeah, the fact that it was like guitar solos at that time, like weren't really cool. <laughs> like it had been, it was, um, you know, classic rock. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's very, uh, it's very interesting. But yeah, but I mean, that's the, I mean, that is to me quite <coughs> emblematic of the, of the change, the shift in sound and production approach that they made with yeah. songs from the big chair, um, which I, I love that album, but I do, I much prefer this material mm. and I like the smaller, um, you know, the, the synth driven stuff, you know, they broadened everything out. They became more of a pop rock bands yeah. they wrote probably more appealing songs for a broader audience mm. um but this is it for me this is the creme de la creme yeah um and what was i'll just say about the cover mm. yeah because uh, i had a thought about that um earlier i was just thinking god i mean to put this out like you say it's brave i mean it is quite it's quite a statement mm. um but it, it's a bit it's almost a bit too much, like the hurting. And then it's just like, you look at the titles of the songs and it's like, there's a kid crying in the corner. Um, and he's on the back as well. Mm. Um, but in North America and some other countries, they did use a different cover. I did that. Yeah. And I quite, I quite like it. I don't know which I prefer. So I wonder what you think. Um, but it's basically, it's the photo of them that was used on the cover of Mad World. Yes. Of them sitting by a, by a lake. Lake, yeah. Yeah. It's that, but it's kind of like uh, cropped and inset a bit. Right, okay. Right, um, I, th- I, I, I like that photo. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, like... You, you I, like the crying I, child. I prefer the crying child, yes. It's just <laughs> like, as I said, yeah, it kind of, it's more reflective of what the album is. As you said, it might be too on the nose, but um, yeah, I do, I do really like it. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else before we get into it. There was one thing I was going to say, but I can't remember what it is now. Um, yeah, is there anything else we kind of want to talk about with the around surrounding the album? Nah, just go straight in. Well, we could say, um, you know, this came out, was it March 1983? Yeah. Um, 
there were a couple of singles that preceded the album. Yeah. Um, I suppose we can actually we can talk about them when we come to it because they were they did appear on the album in in different um, in different versions. Yeah, I was going to say so, let's be, let's talk about that in Nerd's Corner because yeah we can kind of get into it and how they compare. Um, so yeah, okay, we're going to take a break and then we're going to go track by track through the hurting. remembered that i obviously went to see tears for fears uh i think it was last year or the year before yes um at the o2 and i was actually surprised by how much stuff from the hurting they played which is obviously great for me um and it was a really really great set list actually generally um how long did they play for i think it was a good like 90 minutes um it was a little bit um like you know, big band, kind of dad band, wank, where they like had, they played like the uh, Lord version of, was it Everybody Wants to Rule the World, I think, or whatever, to begin with. And they came out to that. So, and then launched into their own version. So I was like, I don't really want to hear it twice, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all right, if I have to. Yeah, Um, that's a bit enough. Yeah. And there was things like that, um, because they had like a female vocalist there who I think she did like, solo bit as well and I'm like I'm not here to hear her I don't give a fuck I don't even know who she is um <laughs> I think yeah did Woman in Chains with Roland or whatever um yeah but there was there's little bits like that but overall it was in- incredible it was really really good um yeah I'm just glad to uh have seen them because they'll probably die yeah, of COVID uh, who knows I wish I'd seen them yeah it was it was really good but um anyway let's let's crack crack into it um so the first track, and we're going to listen to a little bit from each of these. The first track is the... Oh, my Lord. Oh, Jesus. Bless you. Oh, sorry. How was that? Does that feel good? Oh, yeah. Great. That feels great. <laughs> great to be alive right now. <laughs> the first track is the titular... Titular? What's wrong with me? Titular? Is it titular? Yeah. Track, The Hurting. There's a lot to talk about with this first one. <laughs> what a great song. It's brilliant. It is really good. Um, I'll go through my notes and then, yeah, feel free to uh, to stick your um, tongue into uh, my ear um, with your opinions. So I think it sounds, this does sound slightly Depeche Mode. Um, it's kind of got those industrial drums and there's, um, there are moments where it's like, that sounds like a bit like Joy Division or Depeche Mode or Soft Cell which they were compared to at the time, obviously, and for very good reason. Um, basically, because they're all using the same synths as well. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, I love, this has like very intricate melodies. 
it feels like it shouldn't fit together. And it's a kind of signature Tears of Fears sound, right? Which is, um, it's a lot of layering. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and just as a, uh, I haven't got this written down, but like just as a composed piece, there's so many moving parts doing different things that um, it's incredible. You just kind of get lost in it a bit, but yet there's always like a hook or a melody or something that um, just really like sticks in your brain. But yet it's like how they play these things live, for instance, I can imagine was like a bit of a nightmare because um, yeah, there's just so much kind of happening and uh, immediately you've kind of got that um, with that, with the hurting once it goes to like the chorus of it. Um, and you've got those great harmonies immediately. You've got the, you know, Roland's very deep, wide voice. And you've got Chris's more like high. Um, Kurt. De- oh yeah, sorry, what did I say? Chris. Sorry, yeah. Kurt's um, quite high, more delicate um, sound voice. Um, and this is, you know, hearing this first track, they complement each other perfectly. And it's very much like the Tears of Fizz sound. Um, it's so brilliant when they first come in singing together. Yeah. And it just sounds so warm. Yeah. And like that is that in itself is like a, a mission statement. Yeah, exactly. It's great. It's like here's Tears of Fears. It's, it's straight, yeah, straight out yeah. of the gate. Um, it's still uplifting. Some of those synth melodies, da, 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 whatever, like pure pop in its own weird way. Um, there's some very strange noises that kind of mixed in there. Some, but it's very. It still feels very eighties. And then, you know, then that stop, da, da, and then going into the chorus. Da, and all that it's literally incredible i love every little bit about it um that chorus melody and both of them are such good singers i don't think that gets mentioned enough about them yeah they've both got really good voices yeah like roland is like like kurt says that roland is like a very much belting it power like vocal that's what he does like you mean it whereas his is more like fragile and more um, yeah, I think as I said before, like delicate. Um, so it kind of covers he's, both bases, really. <laughs> and he's really demonstrating some, you know, like his range here. I think Kurt and mm. it's, it's leaping about all over the place. That yeah, that chorus is great. It's so it's so satisfying. Mm. Um, and also, it just sets up what's happening in the album. Like it's about emotional trauma. There's a you know the whole album's about as we've said. Um, about kids basically and uh, yeah that kind of traumatic experience of being a child with horrible parents and upbringings and whatever the way that you know that pain never leaves you um, that trauma Um, but it's also saying that you have to deal with your fears and pain you know touch the hurt don't let go learn to cry like a baby then the hurting won't come back so you know it's there's some there's like a message behind it as well and then this, you know, is it is it an horrific dream? Like uh, over again, it's as if you've, you know, in that end bit where it's all like jubilant and uplifting again, it's as if you've made it to the other side. So, you know, you've gone on this journey, you've conquered your own hurt from the first track. Um, and yeah, it's just a really like strong piece of music that um, really resonates. And I think it's... You know, it's it's just weird. Like every time I put on this album, I do listen to it sequentially. I don't just have it on a random order, which um, there's no necessary reason to do that because they they don't, I don't think they mix into each other really that much, if at all. 
So, you know, there's no reason why you'd have to listen to it song by song. But every time I put The Hurting on, I always start with The Hurting. I never go on to another track. And that's because it's just the perfect kind of introduction. And it just brings back all the feels, basically, um, as soon as you listen to it. Um, Yeah, sorry, I've kind of talked a lot there. Yeah, what what have you got to say for yourself? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just add, I really love the middle eight in this. Yeah. And I don't know, it sounds kind of a bit more uh, like some strummed guitar in there or something, but it gets really dark. Yeah. And it's a great bass line over that middle eight as well. Yeah. But I mean, just that, that like extra mood, you've kind of got all the different mood sounds and textures um, across this album here in one song. Mm. Um, And you get to hear, yeah, it's become like that. You get a bit more Roland voice and this like quite deep resonant kind of singing. Mm. Um, it's brilliant. And then like that end part, when they've already established two main kind of like um, vocal melody hooks, and it's just that, like it's pretty simple, basic pop writing 101. But, you know, let's just put them together, one on top of the other. Yeah. Um, but it's so good. Yeah. It's such a good payoff. Yeah, it really is. Um, one, is it a horrific dream? Yeah. Da, da, da. Ah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it's, it's just weird there's weird stuff going on the beat doesn't make sense like as you said that weird like chorus line with the hurting it's like that doesn't it feels like it shouldn't be there like it feels like it's a mistake that they've just kind of kept in and that's what i love i love about it um yeah and did you know here's a little um fact for you um because i don't know if you knew this but the band were gonna be um as part of live aid and uh, they had to um, bow out, basically. Uh, I think they became part of Sport Aid um, and they did Everybody Wants yes. to Run the World, whatever, and all that stuff. Yes. But, um, it was never really explained properly why they didn't do it, though the story goes that um, two of their session bands basically were like, our contracts are up. Like, we're not doing it. We're not getting paid, which is so fucking stupid when you think about it. But I guess, you know, if you're a session musician, you're like, oh, I'm not doing this for free. So you could play Live Aid, like the, the biggest gig that there will ever be full time. It's like, man, uh, I'm not getting paid. Anyway, but um, so they couldn't do crazy. it. But what they did is they actually, um, the donations made between like five of their stadium gigs around the world or whatever they put towards Live Aid, like after the actual gig. So they made, like, they made up for it. But one of the other things was when they, and I would, if you, I don't know if you know this, um, do they know it's Christmas? One of the biggest Christmas songs of all time uses... <laughs> a slowed down sample from the drums from the hurting as the dun, 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 dun. yeah uh, yeah did you know, I can hear it now did you know that no I didn't know that yeah so because um, they're in it's Christmas I think, I'm pretty time. sure they're in do they know it's Christmas um, uh, I, I don't think no. they are oh. no they're not on it okay maybe not then um so it's just their beat but it's definitely like yeah sampled from the this song the hurting so it's weird that strangely people are listening to the hurting every christmas in a big happy jubilant song um if you know what i mean snuck its way in there i love it it's so good i'm surprised this wasn't a single yeah yeah it's got a single written all all over it running through it like a stick of rock i guess it's just a bit too weird you know, well, it's not as weird as Mad World, right? That's just as weird. Well, yeah, it's weird in a different. Well, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's. I think Hurting's weirder. But let's have a listen 
Have you got any more you want to say about this? Sorry, the, the track. No, that was meant to be a segue. Yeah. Okay, great. Cool. Just thought I'd check before we move on to Mad Wood. Have a listen. just re- recreating them all um you don't, you don't need to hear it all just use them. Yeah. um mad world all is around me. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. No, sorry um mad world is probably i would say uh more commonly known as their um big first single like they had already kind of you know had some hits with this but um uh this well some misses really they had some singles that didn't really yeah didn't really have an impact crack anything but this was originally going to be a b-side to i think pale shelter that's outrageous. And then, yeah, the label went, no, 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 this is the next single. And they were like, and apparently Roland was a bit like, Ugh, it's not that great. Like, he's like, the chorus is only like two chords. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 it sounds great. So I'm like, all right, fine. And then... God, I didn't know that. Yeah, huh? it blew up. And apparently, you know, when like Roland's doing this like um, dance, uh, you know, by himself outside. Phenomenal. I love that. Yeah. Apparently, like that's because that's just the dance he used to do in the studio. He just had this weird way of dancing. And when he was like <laughs> listening, when they were playing back songs and he was like enjoying it, um, he'd do this like weird dance. And they were like, well, let's get him doing it in the video. Like, just go stand over there and just do your, your dancing that you do. And it's like all this like crazy 80 arms stuff. It looks like it's like interpretive yeah. dance or something. And I remember that always I, I sticks out in my head because it's just like, what the fuck is he doing? It looks great though. I love it. It's so fucking 80s. And, well, it's totally unique. I've never seen and haven't seen a dance quite like it. And it's great as well because Kurt's in the house, like looking through the yeah, window. Yeah. And there's just like, if you haven't seen the band before, it's like something that's quite, you know, like dour, weird looking guy standing in the garden who suddenly starts doing this <laughs> strange alien robotic dance. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, it's true. And I guess that was also um, the thing is that um, I, I, I imagine Kurt was like seen as the uh, lead guy or something because this is one of the songs that he sings on. Um, which isn't the case. Uh, but yeah, so, um, Mad World, I guess like a little bit, um, I've got a little bit of an anecdotal thing about this as well. So, um, uh, it was obviously covered by Gary Jules. Um, well, not obviously, but it made like number one at Christmas, like a few years ago when Gary Jules did an acoustic number of it, um, which I thought was quite nice. It took like the melody and even though it's like a bit saccharine, it's, um, I think it's quite a nice interpretation of the kind of gentleness that's actually like behind the songs with all like the big eighties drums kind of taken out and just kind of stripping it back to its kind of simpler um, structure. You know what I mean? That's why I fucking hate it. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, weirdly. It's it's Michael Andrews and Gary Jules. Oh, sorry. I've I've seen someone have that answer disallowed on a TV quiz show. Because they only said one of the names. Who cares? So, but Michael Andrews and Gary Jules. But well, because these men need to be, you know, recognize them, know your enemy. These are the enemies of, of quality music. They took that great song and it set a precedent, I think, for the next sort of 
30 years to come of taking these brilliant synth pop songs from the 80s and doing these kind of like piano ballad, very uh, very sensitive versions of them where they've gone, we've taken out all the interesting stuff. Um, I even heard one, what was that game we did? The Last of Me, Last, Last of, of Us 2. Yeah. I saw the advert for that. It was like bloody uh-huh. um, New Order's True Faith. Oh, right, yeah. Some girl going like, I used to think that the day would never come. <laughs> that my life depends on the morning sun. Utter shit. And honestly, I think it's like um, a result of, of this. Bloody Michael Andrews and Gary Jules did it first and had that huge Christmas number one. So well, they are <laughs> so they are God. Dan G's most wanted. Well, firstly, Roland and Kurt like the song. Well, what do they know? What do they know? Idiots. Um, <laughs> secondly, there was... They like the royalties. It's true. Um, I remember it because, and I don't know what came first, but it was in a Gears of War trailer. And this was uh, Gears of War being the Xbox game. There's been like five of them now, six maybe. And um, I know five because I reviewed them. Maybe it was six, whatever. No, five. And um, yeah, it's a whole franchise as and of itself. And there's a bit where it's like set in the universe and it's like the main guy, Felix, and he comes and sees this big monster or something. And it's just got this playing in the background. And um, yeah, I don't know what came came first or whatever, but um, yeah, it felt very, uh, um, I don't know. I, I still quite like it. I think because as well, it came at a time when Tears for Fears like weren't cool. Like people didn't know who they were. Then all of a sudden it was like, well, obviously people did, but it's in like our generation. Like they weren't cool anymore. Yeah. Like they hadn't done anything for fuck knows how long. Like they weren't the whole thing. And around this time as well was when um, Donnie Darko came out. Well, the song's from the film, isn't it? Yes, right. Okay, I'm, I've, I've got that written down, but I was like, yeah. I'm not sure if it was um, actually from the film. So something interesting you might know, and this is the anecdote I was going to tell you, is that um, so I did a thing for the BBC with Richard Kelly who's the director of Donnie Darko. Um, and I basically hung around with him for about three days. And uh, he is a very strange man, <laughs> put it that way. There's nothing wrong with him, like nice guy. Um, and I didn't want to kind of, you know, interrogate him off camera about the film or whatever. And also like, I think he's a bit sick of people talking to him about Donnie Darko by this point. Um, but he did after that, he did a, what's it called? Like Southland Tales. I don't think anyone saw that. And then he did the box with Cameron Diaz, which I quite liked, but um, got absolutely panned. And I don't think he's done anything since. Um, anything of note, anyway. And anyway, so um, I was chatting to him. Um, I think I don't think he'd done the box yet, or maybe he just released it, I can't remember. And um, yeah, and I literally said to him, I was like, it's really weird because I was a huge Tears of Fears fan. And um, because of like Donnie Darko, you know, suddenly they were like cool again. Um, I was like, you know, did you, are you a big Tears for Fears fan then? Like, had you, like, what was the inspiration for, like, using their music or whatever? And he was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's what I got out of him. <laughs> and it was like a clear, like, I don't want to talk about this. So I was like, okay, it's weird because we talk about all other stuff, but he is like, um, how do I put uh, this? Very um, cardboard, very wooden. As a person, mm. he's also obsessed with his arms. So when you see him, as in like he 
will literally just work out his arms. So he's got tiny, oh, tiny torso. He's a small man for a start. Tiny torso, tiny legs and all this. Um, big arms. And I literally think it's weird because I literally think he wants to look like Jake Gyllenhaal, who he obviously helped get famous, basically. Um, and I think he feels like Jake Gyllenhaal's like taken off and he's like stuck doing nothing or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just weird. Because I was just like, oh, do you ever speak to Jake Gyllenhaal then? He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, we text um, time to time. And I was thinking, that's no then, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly left you in the dirt. Um, but it was nice. Like, literally, I went around to like where he grew up. I like, had a chat with his parents. They just live on a, like a nice white picket fence um, neighborhood in uh, Virginia, West Virginia, I think. And um, God, I can't remember where I was. That was the problem when I did this American tour. I was just like, no fucking idea where I am at any one point. Couldn't point if they gave me a map of America and said, "Where are you?" I'd be like, I have "No fucking idea. I don't know. I don't even know which side of the country I'm on." Um, uh, but yeah, that was um, that was interesting. But yeah, that was my bit about uh, Donnie Darko and Tears of Fears. I haven't seen that film since I was at university. We should put that on the list. I'd love to it's see good. that again. It, like I, I saw it. I'd say probably about eight years ago. It's the last time I saw it, which sounds like a long time for many people, but it doesn't feel like that long a time for me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I remember thinking like this still stands up um, just because it's like everything about it. It's, it's something that only like a kid of that age and with like, just like that purity and just wanting to like, do you know what I mean? Like that could write something like that because the whole story of how he did it, like it's crazy because that, that script, he came out of whatever, like film school and that script is making the rounds. And he literally said, I don't want anyone directing it. I'm going to direct it. And obviously everyone yeah. was like, who are you? Like, you're just a fucking, just some kid, you're nobody. And yeah. um, anyway, like he really, really fought for it to be made by him. And yeah. anyway, they coughed up, someone coughed up the money and said he could do it. And he did it. He directed it and it flopped. Talk about flops um, in the last thing, completely flopped. And he was walking by a um, cinema in fucking New York or something. And uh, he saw a poster up for the film, like in this pizza restaurant or whatever, um, next to the cinema. And was like, what's this? They're like, oh, yeah, we run like screenings of this film, Donnie Darko, next door. Like, you know, the kids come and see it like every week. And all of a sudden, like, it just grew this like cult following like and he was like it was crazy he was just like just saw like the audience growing growing people just loved it and i was like thinking, that's remarkable isn't i was it? thinking I mean, that's really great but at the same time i was thinking you had a decent budget you had drew barrymore in it <laughs> it's like not a fucking that, note unknown i'd forgotten that yeah I, I, I can't remember much about it other than like that rabbit head and there's something about yeah and he's got like uh, patrick swayze wormhole. or something in it as well yeah wormholes and stuff Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, yeah, I need to watch this again. It's not like it's not like you made like an like the room or something. Like you made it, it just had like no one involved in it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, whatever. I suppose that does happen. But um, yeah, it's a it's a really well made film by him. Um, and I think yeah, you can only do that with the arrogance of youth, really, you know, to make a film yeah. like that. Um, so anyway, sorry. Back to Mad World. Really gone off on one. Um, that classic song yeah. of Tears for Fears. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just so about it again, it's really well um, 
put together a song. Again, it's uh, there's a reason why it's such a big hit. It's about, you know, the rat race and like, you know, being part of um, having to go to like work and doing like a nine to five job and what's the point and the depression that comes with it. Um, and, you know, the dreams of which I'm dying and the best I've ever had. There's like a, it's almost like a British kind of humour to it. What do they call it when it's... Um, yeah. Black humor. Black humor, but there's another one for it. What do they call it when it's even the stock gallows. gallows? That's it. Um, and yeah, I think it still sounds suicidal, obviously. And um, it's that thing where people like, you know, fantasize about suicide and all this. And I think it kind of taps into that a little bit. But yet, and again, in a very jubilant um, way. And it brings up the children theme again, you know, birthdays, being at school just the terror of being like an innocent child and the impact that every little thing um, has on you. Uh, and yeah, just the sounds within it are great. Um, God, it's just so, it's just really good. Just love this song. Still. That jubilant nature, I think, I mean, it bounces along so nicely and it's got really interesting um, percussion. Yeah. Although, I mean, obviously it's all uh, programmed. Mm. But it sounds like if you if you were to strip it all away and just listen to that, it's quite um, it sounds like kind of like African almost. It's just an unusual kind of beat mm. that you don't normally hear in, like even in other kind of like Western synth pop bands. Um, it's just yeah, it's really cool and it's really memorable. I think if you if you just listen to that, people would recognise it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously it's danceable because Rowan does the dance. He does. So. <laughs> you can't help yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, so good. And this got to number three. So this really was like smash. I wonder what the plan was originally because this predated. So this came out in September 1982. Mm-hmm. So it predated the album mm-hmm. by a good few months there. Right. What's that, like six months? Mm-hmm. So that suggests to me that they, they didn't kind of go, right, we're going to put a, you know put this single out ahead of The Hurting. It's going to be the big leading single. It's more like they put that out, were surprised by how successful it was and kind of went, right, now we we need the album, guys. Yeah. It, probably, and it still took them another six months to get it out. Yeah, I think I did read around this, but I haven't written it down. Um, uh, but yeah, it probably did happen a bit like that, <laughs> I, I, I imagine. <laughs> Yeah. So then, yeah, Pale Shelter. All right, let's listen to some Pale Shelter, where you don't give me love, Dan. Um, Pale Shelter. So this was actually their second single um, in its initial uh, form. I think it was, yeah, it was Pale Shelter, You Don't Give Me Love, mm. um, which is different to Pale Shelter that appears on the album. I think it's a different recording entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another fantastic song. I like that this one, you know, it's got more of that... Um, guitar kind of sound in it very dramatic yeah those big kind of like almost like 
big Spanish flamenco-y kind of like big open mm. kind of strums. Yeah. And then that really nice like intricate picked part underlying it all. Mm. Um, like listening to the remixes and things of stuff on this album is brilliant as well because you realise how many different bits and bobs and things are going on underneath and you can just take like that guitar part and like string it out for a few minutes and just enjoy that on its own. Mm. It's really, really good. Um, but this one, it sounds like even more like more than the other two which have been i think quite downbeat this one you know is still melancholy but it kind of soars a bit more you know and then they're like that huge chorus and kurt's singing on this he hits like impossibly high note Mm. yeah i can operate on (laughs) Um, and so i was like all i want to be is completely <laughs> and then it keeps going and going it's amazing yeah um, it's a great track yeah it's a great track for Kurt and it's um, yeah it's definitely one of the more radio friendly kind of pop, poppier songs I guess um, and yeah as you said it's still dark it's still a dark dark song um, yeah I just like how again just like it doesn't feel like it should fit and it still does um, and that's always my favourite kind of uh, kind of music um and yeah like it's about like i feel like it's a, it's it has different connotations but like the idea you know you don't give me love you give me pearl shelter she's basically saying like you know you you're just you generally look after me or whatever like yeah. that could be about like your parents that could be about a loved one or something like that it does have an, more of an air of like an unrequited love um and you know just he doesn't know how to deal with like a love that's basically not returned and he's second guessing himself and all this stuff um but yeah if it generally feels like more like a traditional 80s track so i can understand they wanted to get this out um fairly early uh, before the album and uh yeah it still stands up to this day they still play this live a lot um i believe uh, like i saw them do it live and it's still like a staple track of theirs i love that line i can't operate on this failure yeah it's good and the way it's then mapped to the, the, the rhythm doesn't sound quite right, but uh, it really you know, works as, as lyrics. Yeah, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, just, I mean, that's like what a lot of, that's what I always feel like, like not to go off on one again. Um, it's already too long, this, this episode. <laughs> but um, uh, when music, when people write music and a lot of like pop songs um, as well, like you'll notice that pop songs that used to do, I mean, because I don't know the pop scene anymore, but... Um, all the songs that used to do like really well and all this stuff didn't necessarily have like it had something that didn't quite fit right that kind of made like a bit of an earworm or like gave people like an itch in the back of their brain that only listening to that song could basically like fix and that goes for like all genres of music um it's it's not it's not specifically here but tears of fears have that kind of thing uh generally through their songs it's like something that you can't. You never feel like you can emulate in your head, but you have to hear all the parts working together for it to kind of scratch that itch. And once you've heard it, it's kind of there forever, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I always feel like the best kind of songwriting does that because it makes it unique. And it's something that if it's doing something where you're, it's making your brain feel like it's not naturally supposed to be there, then it's making you think about it more and then it's making it more interesting to listen to. Um, and if it does it right, then it'll make it like, addictive and an enjoyable experience 
So that's Music 101. Um, <laughs> that's how to write a great pop uh, song. A <laughs> um, little bit of release history on this one mm-hmm. then. So, yeah, it first came out in 1982, the second single. Yeah. After Suffer the Children. Yeah. And Weird first single. That version. Oh, yeah, fine. That version, um, it, to me, it sounds like it's like a, a demo, you know. Mm. And then hearing the version that came out on the album, um, which was then again released, um, you know, after the success of Mad World and the album, yeah. um, they were like, right, we need to re-release this. And um, that hit the top five Okay, after it originally just sank. Um, with a fantastic video as well. Do you remember that video? No, what was the video? They're kind of walking around and there's like a, do you remember there's like a giant iron that imprinted on like an airstrip or something? Mm, no. I think oh. Roland's got an acoustic guitar strapped around him, I seem to remember. Really? Yeah. No, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll have a quick and look at some, it whilst you're talking. There's some flying like paper aeroplanes. I think they're like sitting in an empty kind of like what looks like a schoolroom. But there's no other people there. So everything feels really bereft, you know, and then hollow and empty. Right. Um, and they're just like throwing these paper planes. Something kind of bleak, but very British about it. Okay. Uh, no, I've got a uh, alligator in a swimming pool. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That does that happen as well. Start. Yeah. Big iron in the thing. Yeah, you're right. God, what a weird. Yeah, it does feel very British. They're all playing football. Yeah, paper airplanes that have surrounded them. God, what a wanky video. Just them walking in all these different places. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, yeah, I think I have seen this, but like many moons ago. One just gets lodged into his Roland's face. It's brilliant. Kept it in. Um, okay, uh, let's listen to the to the next one then, shall we? Ideas as opiates. Say what you will. opiates i normally skip this one if i'm skipping through them um i find it very very slow it's got a good it's got a good uh build up um and does kind of get quite epic and it does kind of really show off roland's vocals here um mm-hmm. but yeah it's not um it's not one of my favorite tracks i do think it's it's quite cool having like the weird out of tune guitar it's a little um these like weird little strange noises that kind of pepper all the tracks, but there's like, yeah, there's a bit of that out of guitar, out of tune guitar bit. It's just like, Oh, it's such a weird inclusion, but it really, it really works. Um, yeah. Nice sour note to the song. Yeah, exactly. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, this song, you know, I think it works really nicely in the album context. Mm. I think it makes me enjoy the next song more. Mm -hmm because it kind of comes in off this like kind of um you know break yeah um i do i do like it um for all the reasons that you've just said and it kind of it's a bit a bit spacier mm-hmm. roland does a good vocal it's very it's kind of more soulful 
And I think has it, it's got a kind of like a sax line running through yeah. it as well. Yeah. Um, just a different, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's slower. It's not as exciting for sure. Um, yeah, it's not an essential song in their uh, in their catalogue no. at all. But I think it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad it's on the album. I think it works nicely. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I'm guessing it has to do with like religion being the, opiate of the masses um or whatever because uh, it's like he's essentially saying like just believe whatever makes it easier for yourself you know it might be full of lies belief is a relief but you know i don't care like whatever yeah um yeah i kind of get it that's how i always took it yeah um yeah well, yeah not even like religion but whatever I think it's like whatever I can come up with as a coping mechanism for this issue that's causing the hurting, mm. um, I'll do it. Yeah. You do you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I think we can kind of move on to the uh, next track, which is Memories Fade. drama here. Mm. Memories fade but the scars still linger. <laughs> um, but I do love it. But yeah, this is, this feels like more melodramatic than some of the other songs. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's got all the, all the hallmarks of a great hurting album track. Mm. I fucking love this song. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I think I was saying earlier that like, Roland has said that he still gets like chills playing this live. And the idea he wrote this at like 18 or whatever. And these lyrics, he's like, it's like deep. Like it still resonates to this day. And he says, like, I give myself a pat on the back for being able to like write this <laughs> um, at such a young age. Uh, and he's, and he's right. Like just, yeah. I, lo- I love the fact it's like, it seems to be about like obsession um, or it could be like just about a breakup or a death or some kind of trauma. Your memory, yeah, as you said, memories saying memories fade, but the scars still linger. And it's like you're you're basically never heal. It's again about a, a pain. It's about pain here. It's a pain that will always be there, one shape or form. Um, I just always assumed it was more childhood trauma. Stuff yeah, but I, I, yeah, but I think it. Yeah, and yes, you can apply, you can apply it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like to whatever you're, like, you're going through, whatever at that time. I think it still it still works. And then, um, yeah, it's a again, yeah, it's a bit slow, but it just has such a great fucking build up. Um, and it's, yeah, it starts quite small, just grows and grows, and becomes this like incredibly layered, powerful song that just really hits you. And it's got a great bass line as well. Oh, um, and then when that smooth saxophone, that really warm sax sound just kind of floats in and it's very 80s but in all the best ways and yeah like just lines like you know look forward to a future in the past i'm just like that's saying 
you know, so much. Like you're just, it's like a warning, but also like, you know, a kind of um, hopeful thing as well. It's it's both somehow. Um, and saying that, you know, you'll never get away. Like you'll always be living through that time that's back there um, because, yeah, the memories fade, the scars still linger. Look forward to a future in the past, like those kind of ideas. Um, yeah, just like very poetic. I was just like, fuck, it's still like, it's one of my favourite um, uh, deep cuts of, of like Tears of Fears, basically. It's not one of the, it's one of the bigger, powerful, like fucking hit you where it hurts, right in the the balls of your heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah. a great performance piece as well, yeah. Just generally brilliant. Yeah. Mini epic. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, cool. Um, that closes... Uh, side one for vinyl enthusiasts. Mm. What, what an ending to side one that would be, or is really. Um, I'll never know because no one's going to listen to it on vinyl these days, are they? To be honest. Um, so the next song is Suffer the Children. <laughs> this is my least favorite song on the album mm-hmm. um it's a bit more i suppose the melody is quite rudimentary mm-hmm. and it's got that la 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 um which is a it's a little bit twee mm-hmm. i think they really skirt the line here um and also again i think it's you know you spoke about the lyrics to memories fade this is a, a little less uh, uh, poetic and artful. And again, it's wearing its uh, intentions very boldly on its sleeve. Um, but it's okay. Uh, and it's better than the original single version. Yes. That's for sure. Um, so that came out, this was the, yeah, the debut single, uh, apparently 30th of October, 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do anything. Um, just disappeared. I'm surprised actually that they included it here because it does sound to me you know, a bit uh, left behind. Like the other songs, you can tell they've moved on, progressed uh, in, just in terms of songwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, it fits in like production-wise, but um, yeah, they just seem to have stepped forward away from this kind of thing already. Um, but that that first single version's got that terrible extra. Um, like lyric and, and melody vocal hook on it. Do you remember that? No. I'm gonna have to. I've forgotten it myself. I'm gonna have to find. <laughs> Which bit are you talking about? It has a strange vocal hook, really bad vocal. Hook. I've got the it's whole got song. An additional... Oh yes, sorry. In the original one, you're talking about on the single yes. version. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Don't play it for me. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's kind of got something going on in the background, and it's got them in all the original ones. So yeah, as you said, I feel like this track is written for another time and for a different purpose from another time, I should say. So it feels like they're like, what's going on in the eighties? Like what's happening? They're looking around at the music scene and being like, uh, this is the kind of stuff that they seem to like. And they've done their own. It's almost like a pastiche of like those songs. Yeah. Getting the children to kind of, 
It's like, oh, fuck off. It's like, I hate the opening to it. Um, and yeah, I don't like hate it, hate it. It's, but it's just, it's not like the rest of it, as you said. I get that it's like a bit of a catchy chorus and the fact that maybe it would appeal to the fans who might want to hear it if they heard it first time around or something, or they feel like, you know, we've got a song here that's already been crafted that, you know, we can put on and still, you know, still works. Um, so I get it, but they're trying to make it like this weird, like sing along about yeah. bringing up children. <laughs> oh, um, it's missing the darker edge of the other material, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, it's called Suffer the Children. It just feels like it, on the nose and not, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's like all ironic. Yeah. Um, um, that a single version, I just had a little listen. It opens as well with like an extra, like, magical synth sound yeah. that's really really uh, cheesy and then yeah this extra lyric goes hold him oh that's right yeah tell him that you love him oh yeah it's him. weird it's so weird yeah I totally forgot about that you, know, you just said yeah. even like I've listened to it about five times this week um, <laughs> yeah I'm quite willing to that's interesting that you don't like it as well <laughs> why well, because, I mean, there's not much out there, actually, about this album and, like, consensus on what's good and not and everything. Because no. um, I thought you were going to say, because, yeah. like, uh, this is this would be a song that you'd like because I think it's shit or something like that. No, no, no. I just thought, oh, I, I feel validated. That <laughs> yeah, it's not We both it's not good. agree that this is the weakest. I mean, if ever you've got, like, a chorus of kids singing, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not going to be into it, let's be honest. Um it sounds like it should have been like, um, they should have changed the lyrics and made it like a Christmas yeah. song. It would still work. <laughs> it's just a bit, yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm shitting on it a bit too much. Like, I don't mind it, this version specifically. Mm. Yeah, this version's bad. Um, yeah, I don't. And it's like, you know, I quite like some of like the vocal melody stuff. You know, he's dependent on you. Oh, he's dependent on you. Or even all that stuff. I quite like that bit it's just yeah. when it gets like the chorus and as you said like the kids come in i'm just like yes yeah, like, oh, what's going on it's so weird like, yeah. Yeah. It's too like hey jude or something um <laughs> okay well, let's go on to uh the next track which is um yeah much better which is watch me bleed about this but i really like this song and i love the chorus oh. and i think some of the bass parts sound quite joy divisiony i still feel like there's um yeah joy division has had an impact in parts of this album where probably i wouldn't notice it um unless i was in the context of what was happening in that music at the time if that makes sense just because it's been copied so much ad nauseum by now but yeah some of these bits really did kind of stand out um, and yeah, this is just a general song about pain, really. <laughs> Which fits perfectly into yeah. uh, into this album. There's nothing specifically kind of going on here. Um, it just feels like a general observation of pain. Uh, yeah, Dan, what did you think? 
Watch me bleed. Yes. um, Again, expressed in like the most melodramatic fashion. Um, But it works because, you know, the music's melodramatic as Mm. well. And everything's like amped up. Um, I like, there's so many bits in this song that I love. Again, there's like quite a lot going on, I think. Um, But I really love like in like halfway through when you get like, da 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 and it's really unexpected and it kind of catches you off guard and it's like, oh my god this is so exciting what's going to happen and then you get that fantastic like um big like wailing vocal from roland mm. whoa, whoa all that <laughs> ah gorgeous i think like another thing about this track is that listening back to it it's like the way he says it's like what me bleed or whatever like there's a real as you said like a melodrama but like a real performance in it instead of just being like watch me bleed whatever it's just like what is this big like he's fucking in it and i think that's the thing with roland is that it never feels like half-assed it's always like he's doing it you can tell there's like a real passion behind um how he's kind of singing this stuff um he's not just going through the motions and stuff he's really kind of giving it just pushing it that little bit more just making that a little bit more edgy um very passionate performance this one Mm. and i love this is where you get the uh hurting line again yeah great good callback what's left for me or anyone when you do not hurt you great i always wonder with that bap, bap, bap. i'm like is he just is he literally just going start getting further away from the mic like bap, 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 bap. <laughs> or if they just taken it and just sampled it up and out um uh, yeah great track really love this one hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Should we move on? And then we get another single. Yeah. Um... The bouncy change. (laughs) 
Amsterdam. This is one of my favourite Tears of Fear songs. Mine too. Mm. It's like that immediate thing, the xylophone coming in. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in straight away. So intriguing, isn't it? It's like... I'm just like, yeah, I'm there. It's eighties and I love it. I'm just like, it's a really pleasant sound. And then just that. And then, I'm like, oh my God. I say it's like you're primed. Like I'm, I'm interested. What are we going to get in this song? Yeah. And then that bass line comes in. Brilliant. It is brilliant. Um, and yeah, it feels, and I think it's the thing with a lot of Tears of Fears songs, um, and they're quite vocal about this anyway, is that um, having that production and these layerings of different sounds and stuff and having people know how to do this, like uh, they've, they're not afraid of making a song sound big. Um, mm. And this sounds big. And yeah, it's slightly dancey, poppy, great bass line throughout the whole thing. Um and I like, it's probably got one of the best midways ever in any song of all time, <laughs> which is that this big, deep, dark synth that just suddenly like, it's all quite light and all this stuff. And then just this big, like, fuck off, like big dick, like synth just comes in. I'm just like, oh, it's brilliant. Is that the what has happened to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so and good. it's literally like Gary Newman has just fucking come out of nowhere, just walked in and done, like got his own synth out like that he's used on like cars or whatever <laughs> and just done his fucking synth thing and then just fucked off. Um, and yeah, but like right after that, that's what I love about it. So they've got that, yeah, they've got the big build up, what has happened to whatever. So that big build up. The bass is going as well. It's like building up, it's yeah. building up to that synth solo, which is what's great. Just through the bass. Yeah. Which is <laughs> and when I when I hear that I think of the video because they're doing these like there's these like kind of like kabuki masks people yeah I remember you saying yeah. they're doing that weird dance with like their arms up <laughs> can't see this dance doing dance literally dancing out in front of me um, I'm getting into it in my head it's great I'm so into this song. and then. Uh, yeah, and what's also great is that as soon as that bit's finished, you've got some like Jingly Smith's guitars, like some Johnny Marsh shit, like coming on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's so much in this song. And it's great. And yeah, and then it's it's just, yeah, as you said, there's a lot going on. Um, in terms of what it's actually like about lyrically, it, I think it's still really good. Um, and yeah, like I was kind of, I hadn't really thought about it properly until doing it for this um, for this episode, but it sounds like it's about someone who's like observing a friend or a lover and their relationship has changed, the, like the person's changed. And I, I wonder if it's about changing them back to the person they once knew, like, you know, what has happened to the person I once knew? Has he gone away or whatever? And then, um, but the whole thing is like, you walked into the room you know, I had to laugh. You look like a photograph or whatever. So like it's someone that they knew who's now changed and they're like a dick or whatever. And it's like, who the fuck is this like poser or whatever, or whoever it might be. Like they've changed in some way and he's saying you can change. So it's in like, you get, you know, I don't know you anymore, but I feel like you can change back to the person I once knew rather than being, which is probably what I originally thought of like, you're a dick you need to change. It's more like you've changed into a dick and I want you to change back. 
Um, I could be wrong. Do you know what Roland said about it? Okay, go on. I'm going to be completely wrong, aren't I? It's not really about much. It's just one of those cheap <laughs> pop lyrics. I know he said that he originally wrote it for his wife um, at the time, who I think oh, really? has died now. Um, That's a bit... Yeah, I, well, I've seen, I think, like, just the general... Like an attack on her. I think the general... There's some general... Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I think Kurt kind of uh, wrote stuff around it. I think that was part of their, like relationship is Roland would be a bit like uh, he'd write some lyrics down or he'd write a song and then it would it would go through Kurt or whatever and Kurt would add his bits or what he might think of it um and then yeah they just agree on it um but yeah really 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 great song love it this is one I'm not really like a big fan for remixes and things um but this is a song that I do like listening to uh, the alternate versions that are out there and it's quite confusing there's quite a lot of different versions and um, I think as well, if you get the like the original twelve inch single, mm. um, some of them had a different, like a new re recorded version yeah. or an older one or something, but it's not labelled as such. Right. So it's kind of potluck as to as to what version you're getting. But these remixes and things that like play around with all those like really cool the rhythms and, and you get like extended bass parts and things, doing some really funky stuff. Um it's yeah, there's some great Great versions, if you like the song. Yeah. It's well worth checking out those uh, those alternate versions. But we'll get to that in Nerd's Corner. We'll get there. But, um, yeah, for me, I'm happy that this is the, you know, standard track, as it were, the one that... But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the definitive. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on to The Prisoner. So intense. I think this was one of my favourites when I was younger because I just didn't really know anything else that was like mm. it. Um, I just love how, like, uh, how vicious it is. You know, and it builds and builds and it becomes more and more like uh, like an, an assault on the senses. Big stabby synth lines. And, you know, it becomes like really actually quite unpleasant. Mm. Um I mean, it's just so dark, great, fantastic, especially at this point in the album. We've had some, you know, a few pop hits. Mm. Great just to go, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Take yeah, that. Have that. Yeah, it's weird. It's um, the same as you, actually. I liked this more when I was younger. I don't like it as much now. Um, I usually skip it uh, just because, yeah, it's just it's just right. a horrible listen, basically. Um, and I can understand why it's on the album, and it's, especially if it's like kind of supposed to be a concept thing. And it also works into the whole you know, Primal Scream thing of this is like about that underlying like inner turmoil, anger that's wanting to rise up and having to like deal with it. And this is this is literally the hurting, as in like this is the pain. This is the um, yeah. embodiment of that pain. And it's horrible really. Yeah. Like it's an element where I was listening back to it and I was like, it's a bit like a final boss level in like a SNES dungeon game or something. Um, and I think that's because of like the synthy you know, um, like choruses. Uh, what am I talking about? The choir, um, satanic choir. 
Um, and yeah. it's, yeah, it's weird and gothy. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a nastiness to it, which is, you know, quite cool to have on this album. It's quite a little bit experimental. But yeah, the, the cheesy kind of satanic choruses do feel quite dated now. I think I've always thought that about yeah. that kind of, um, you know, those weird synth voices that you get. Um, and I wonder yeah, if they're on the original version. They're not. Um, so we can talk about it later on. So they've got... You might prefer it. Yeah, so um, in the original version, uh, there's it's just like a nasty noise. It's a lot smaller, it's a lot thinner. Um, and I actually like that better than this huh. because because it's this is trying to emulate a human voice it it yes. dates it quite badly whereas in the original one it's yeah. more just like a bit of a nastier sound and yeah it's not quite as epic but it feels better to listen to it's not kind of grating on me mm. so much um and this track is like i skip it it's fine for the album it's a work of art um and i get i get it but it's not something i will want to put in the car don't don't skip this song people no don't don't skip it, it but put it put it on your car it's not a, it's not a sing-along um <laughs> come on kids pop it pop it in yep pop it pop it in on your journey to visit your uh relatives for christmas get your kids singing it in the back of the car. Oh, come on kids <laughs> <laughs> um cool uh yeah you got, you got anything else on this one no. Right. So now we're going to come to, again, another one of my favourite all-time Tears for tracks, which is Start of the Breakdown. Scratch the ice, let the telephone ring. Sense of time is a powerful thing. And we love to laugh, love to cry. Half alive, we love to go slow when we're dancing away. Dry skin. This one is, I mean, it's a great uh, album closer. It's got that sense of, it does have like a sense of kind of um, finality about it. Mm. Um, it's not one of my favourites on the album, though. Um, uh, I, do think I do think it's really good. Huh? That surprises me. Because I thought you'd really love this one. Um, I like that it's has the sort of like epic quality of maybe memories fade mm-hmm. but i can already sense at this point that it feels a bit um well i don't think it's as, it's as busy as some of the other tracks and that's what i i really like about some of them um and maybe i don't know it just doesn't leave a lasting impression on me like some of the the others and i think he's moving into more expansive pop territory here it is a little bit of a taster of what's to come maybe i think mm-hmm it's a very Roland track. Um, it, yeah, it's one of my, it's definitely one of my favorites, I think. Um, and to this day, it's one of the few songs on my internal jukebox that never leaves me. I'll just suddenly walk down the street and it'll be running through my head. Um, and I'll just start randomly singing it. And I think, I don't know, it's just had like such a weird, um, I think it's just quite a beautiful 
uh, song. I, so yeah, kind of getting into it a bit more. So I like the little bits. I like the little bits of synth that sound like there's like a tiny animal walking along. Do 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 do. Right at the beginning. Whatever. It's like, what the fuck is going on? And then the ding, whatever. And um, I think that's also like they they talk about it on that BBC documentary is that they, they, like Roland wasn't afraid basically of using a classic piano sound and building on top of it. And um, yes. and it's not very like rock and roll. It's not very like, you know, standard to kind of do that, um, especially yeah. like in a synthy, poppy world. But it just, as you said, like with the melodrama, it just brings it, brings it in. You've got these like big, big piano chords. You've got Ronan's huge voice. And then, man, when those like, when the drums come in, do, 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 do. And, um, you know, and then it's got those, there's high piano notes so you've got like this big huge it's like warlike drums coming and that steps up a ramp later on in the song as well and then you've got these like very delicate beautiful like piano notes over the top i'm just like fuck this is like this is really epic like it's literally it's like literally a texture of like a song or like a uh, what is a song obviously like a texture of a story i should say or like, you know, it's painting a picture here, um, which I feel like some of the other tracks do do. But with this, it feels like, yeah, like I'm completely, I'm 100% involved in what he's trying to do here on the day. Um, and what I also like is that for, <clears throat> from a production standpoint, for the um, chorus bits, it sounds like they've um, put him deeper into the mix, like they've kind of taken him a step back from the microphone. So there's a little distance there with the choruses. So it's very subtle, but it's enough to make you want him, you kind of want to put him back into, like, you want to turn him up, basically, in the mix. Um, and there's an element, you just want to get, like, closer to him because you feel like he's literally putting away from you. It's a very subtle, subconscious thing that um, I think really works in terms of what he's saying on the song, but also, like, how you are how you are literally listening to it. Um, just, yeah, if you listen to it again, just, just watch out for that. it. Yeah. Hmm. It's really cool. And then, yeah, just when those, do, 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 like those big kind of Phil Collins style drums comes in, we're just like upping the power of it. So it's kind of building and building again. And there's a lot going on. And the drums are just, and the drums and bass are doing this really like complicated um, structure, you know, complicated notes and uh, beats. And then you've got this very simple synth and piano. And you've just got, it's very, very simple. And you've just got this very, deep soulful voice just like across the top of it and i think that's just it's just a really powerful beautiful kind of um song and apparently i read somewhere not from this thing i read it ages ago but um it's about his relationship with his father but again like we're saying about some of the songs previously it could be about death it could be Mm -hmm. about you know your marriage it's just the idea and i just love the whole context of the song being that it's the idea of finality and coming to the terms with the end of something, but by noticing that it's beginning to end. So you're, yes. so it's so great in the sense of like, you're not, it's not like a big ending. It's in a sense of like, you're not talking about, yeah, like someone close to you's died or that you're, you're breaking up from your partner or something. It's this heart wrenching moment. It's more that you have noticed a very subtle thing that you know means that this will inevitably die. 
Yes. And that's why when he's got the term, when he's got the line from scratching the earth to digging the burial ground, it's like, yeah, this is this song. This is what this song's about. And also, um, it's also how he's uh, put the song together. There's little like, like that's very small and then it's building and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's literally like, yeah, like the song is almost like a breakdown in itself. Um, And yeah, that's kind of, yeah, got a bit passionate about that one there. Nice. Yeah, I should go back and give this a closer listen. Um, Definitely. I think it's definitely lighter. There isn't that same sort of like doom and sort of like gothic sound that you get on some of the other tracks. Um, And Mm. I, I think of like the working hour is maybe like a natural progression of, of this kind of songwriting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, like you said, like with the line, you know, (laughs) I can't understand you. Like it's just the start of the breakdown. I can't understand you. Just that in itself is like, it's just, just lyrically it's, there's a sense of like, he wants to understand, like there's a longing, there's a need, there's like an effort there. And it's just not happening for whatever yeah. reason that is. And it's like, it's a, you know, not a, not a frustration, but there's like a sadness behind it because it's, you know, we're, we're kind of joking about it, but it's actually quite a really tender, beautiful thing, which, you know, if you just put it in any song, like I can't understand you, it could mean so many things, but you place it here and it's like, yeah, this is actually a heart wrenching that's the way painting. he sings it. Yeah. But I've, I've always thought it's quite, quite a brutal line because it is, it's, he sounds bewildered, you know. Mm. You can tell it's like he's, he's sort of uh, upset. Because mm. it's a moment, do. like you say, yeah. I can't yeah. understand you, but I can't understand you on a deep or any level. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, but like, just, you know, musically, it is a sort of like a, it's a bit of respite, I think, from the rest of the album, especially sequencing in, in, in this way of having the prisoner, yeah. which is like the most harsh, most uh, uncomfortable bit of music to this. It feels like, it does feel like a bit of release at the end of mm. the album. It's very cathartic. Yeah. Mm. And that's the lovely, that's the uh, lovely stuff. Yeah, that is. Thanks, the, Roland. Yeah, that is one of the best debut albums of all time, perhaps. For Do you? Um, I mean, you're not not a list kind of guy, are you? But would you really. would you rank this in your favorite albums? Um, yeah, I would. It's weird because it's like I really, really like songs from the big chair. Um, but for me, like the failures on songs of the big chair, um, it's just, I like almost too poppy. Like for me, everybody wants to rule the world is a failure. Like I know Roland doesn't particularly like the song. I don't think they like the song that much as a, as a band and I can see why. Um, but with, with this, it, but that feels like a bit more like maybe, in theory, the songs are better put together. It's a bit more produced. It's a bit more, whatever, like the big album. But yeah. Hurting, for me, I would probably rate higher, not necessarily because the songs are better, or, um, but they feel more personal and it feels bolder and braver 
and um yeah and whether they meant it to or not um it still does i mean and that's the thing right like it's like creating any piece of art once it's out there you don't really it's an element where you don't really have a say yeah on on it and you could just be like you know when people say about like the smiths for instance and it's like all morrissey's lyrics like you know um who is it like noel um gallagher whatever it's like yeah he always thought the smiths were funny like he thought all the lyrics of the Smiths was just a laugh. And I can see that. And there's a camp humor to it, especially to a lot of their songs. But there's yeah. some of those songs which are deep and dark and about, you know, depression and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, people would take that and resonate with it. And it's for you to kind of have your own um, interpretation of what it is and what it means to you. And I feel like this with this album is that it was, you know, I think it's very um, brutally raw and honest and, you know, it kind of tapped into something that, you know, I felt like was kind of going on and I hadn't really experienced properly. And it was just nice to hear that even this was like whatever, 15, 20 years, um, you know, before, um, you, you know, released before I was even going through this, that it was still like still relevant. And I think it still will be today to someone who's listening to it. Whereas I think if someone was listening to songs from the big chair at that same time, they'd be like, There's some, this is some nice songs does that make sense some some nice breezy uh radio pop yeah it's like these are great songs i like listening to cool head over hills and all this stuff brilliant but i think if you put on the album for someone like that it's like i think that would have a deeper effect um yeah be more profound perhaps you're totally right you're so right (laughs) (laughs) what are your favorite songs here um god yeah like kind of talking about start the breakdown just made me um want to listen to that again change change might be my favorite song on it um but that is purely from a i like putting it on the car and singing along to it and being like yeah fuck this is great kind of thing um, so it might be change um start the breakdown yeah it's probably um second uh Memories fade is all right, but yeah, then it goes like probably um, hurting Mad World, Pale Shelter, those kind of three in some order around there, yeah. And then Ideas of Opiates, I don't really particularly rate. Um, yeah, Memories fade is good as I said. Suffer the Children, I don't like. So Prisoner would probably be worst. Then Suffer the Children, then Ideas <sighs> of Opiates. Ouch. Yeah, I just don't like. I just don't like the Prisoner. Like it's fine. I, it's it's more there to make a point for me than it's like. A listening experience. Yeah, well, that's um, fair enough. What about that's you? Point. The hurting, mad world, pale shelter, memories fade, watch me bleed, change. That's my top tier. Right. Okay. Fair it's most of the album. <laughs> yeah. Yes, half the album there. I'm surprised Mad World got to number like two, or you just kind of uh, just within the top five. Oh, that wasn't ranked. Right. I was just reading oh, okay. through. Right, right, right. <laughs> Maybe what if I had to pick one as my favourite? Could be. I think it'd be. Oh, it depends what mood I'm in, you know. Maybe change. Maybe the hurting, mm-hmm. or maybe memories fade. Mm. I don't know. Mm. It's all good. It's just it's just a great album. It is good. Um, and I'm, I'm, I felt great talking about it, actually. 
Um, Good. Because it's, Glad you got that off your chest. Yeah, well, I did because it's like it's one of those things, right? Like you and me, like tears for fears, but yeah. we we only talk. Like we've got like I don't know anyone else that likes them, or at least likes them as much Likewise. as we do. And it's no. like I never get a chance really to talk about them unless I'm with you. So to kind of do like a full whatever two hours <laughs> of pure tears for fears, and and that's the thing as well. It's very hard. Um. Like what we were saying before, like when people think of Tears of Fears, they think of everybody wants to rule the world or something like that. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that that's how they're kind of saying. But it's like, this is the the real, this is the real Tears for Fears like kind of thing. Like, yeah. hey, you guys don't the fans know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it's quite difficult to kind of get people on board with that, let alone discuss these <laughs> this music and why <laughs> it why it works and why it's so great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm well, glad to have shared that with everyone out there. You say two hours, Sam, but it's two hours and counting because now it's time to go to Nerd's Corner. We're going to go some some deep excavation of uh, B-Sides and mixes. Mm, lovely. Let's do it. Um, so, in 2013, the album was enjoying its 30th anniversary um, and basically they put out a, you know, pretty much everything, um, from the, from the period mm-hmm. on a, uh, many disc box, <laughs> I think four discs. So what yeah. you had was, um, you had disc one was the original album. Yeah. Disc two, singles and B-sides, mm-hmm. uh, disc three, radio sessions and live. Mm-hmm. And then a DVD, and I know you're going to love this, the first digital versatile disc issuing of In My Mind's Eye, live at Hammersmith Odeon. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. So I've got that on VHS. Which yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Have you got it on VHS as well? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Brilliant. I it's... can't watch it, though. I haven't got a player. Uh, well, I can't. Even if I did, I can't watch it. It's basically. I bet it's on YouTube. Someone, you can't watch it. Well, as in, well, you know what? Like, basically, someone's gone. <laughs> someone's got a eighties fucking video thing where, like, the screen flips and goes in and out. It has all these effects, and it's constant use of it. So the <laughs> the, the literally the screen within the video never stays still. So you're never watching it. It's always like moving around or turning into a box and then zipping out or like changing colors. And I just fucking stay. Just film the fucker. <laughs> are you using these uh, shitty effects like the whole thing fuck's sake uh, I don't know if that's on the DVD though but that's definitely on the VHS it better bloody well be oh, it's awful I love it such a it. such a waste of like just filming a gig <laughs> fuck's sake we should do a watch along do you want to do one I yeah, bet it's on do. YouTube yeah it probably is yeah There's, there is a, there is some... we're going to do it we'll make it a Patreon exclusive thing yeah we should do Yeah, there is a uh, somewhere out there there is a like Tears of Fears um, film kind of doc thing where they play, I think they do like a live stream for a Japanese TV station or something outside Hampton Court Palace or something like that because they're like oh, yes. something British. And there's Roland like walking around like, yeah, so I'm from Bath. Do you know Bath? Yeah. <laughs> there's that Japanese woman. She's like, ah, I do not know Bath. He's going, yeah, so I'm from Bath. and uh, yeah, Not from London, no. It's like deep voice. Um, And it's just quite funny because they just look like, you forget basically they were just fucking kids and they're just like doing like shout or something. It's amazing, huge, big song. And um, just like, (laughs) just 
like kids just walking around uh, in their like long coats and like, you know, and everyone's kind of fawning over them or something and they're just a bit, a bit like awkward about it. Um, yeah, it's good. It's a good watch actually. I think I've got it. I think that's on um, scenes from the big chair. That's right. That is what it's from. That is what it's from. Yeah. Um, we should watch that too. Yeah, true. But let's do In My Mind's Eye first. Oh, God. Okay. That'll be... Oh, I'm looking forward to that already. Um, so just to go back to singles and B-sides. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we both had a listen to some of these, didn't we? Yeah, so I've listened to... I listen to these anyway because they're on the deluxe, super deluxe, whatever edition. I know you sent some through um, as well that you had... Uh, so yes. I didn't listen to those specifically. I'd already listened to these and they're basically much, much the same. Okay. Um, and I've put my thoughts on each of them. So yeah, if you wanted to, I'm quite happy to yeah. go through. We're going to go through track by track? Yeah, we can do. We won't, don't, let's not play them because obviously we'll some of the- dwell on all of them no, too much. some of the, dif- you won't know. Some of the differences are just like nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to play any of these to the listeners. We could just kind of run through them quick. All right, so well, suffer the children original version. We've already damned it. Yeah, it's a yeah. The production is lesser, basically. The drums are more like eighties standard, very thin. And there's that yeah, as you said, that weird chorus line that kind of goes with the um, keyboard. Hold him. Yeah, it's weird. Tell him that you love him. It's awful. Um, and there's some other like weird synth sounds that are kind of hidden in there that kind of distract. I hate it. I hate it. So, <laughs> Pale Shelter uh, original version. I guess this is the uh, original single version from 1982. Yeah. So for me, this is a little less polished. Basically, it's not all that different. What about it you? just sounds like a demo, doesn't it? Really? Mm, yeah. It's not bad. Off. Like it's fine. Yeah. It's just like I would never listen to it because why would I <laughs> when they've done it like properly? Um, yeah. Totally, yeah. They just they just took it, polished it up, and improved it on the uh, on the album, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, and the B side of that uh, initial single was an uh, the original version of the Prisoner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the synth sounds a bit more weaker here, and a, a bit more Gary Newman, but in a in a bad way. And then yeah, instead of that satanic chorus, as we were saying before, it's like a weird distorted organ, um, which I like better. It just sounds a lot creepier. Um, so yeah, I don't mind this version of it. I don't know if it's better; it's just different. Um, but I like there's some elements about it that I like a bit more. Um, ideas as opiates alternate version. I just want to clarify with this. Um, I'm just reading the notes here on Wikipedia because mm. um, Mad World had a B side called uh, Saxophones as Opiates. Yeah, I listened to that and as well. Oh, is that different to this? Yeah, that's different, yeah. Well, Because I saw some people were complaining that Saxophones as Opiates isn't on this box set. It's not, no. Um, So I had to, I listened to it on some stuff that you sent. Um, So I wondered, so what is this, Ideas as Opiates alternate? It's just, it's literally just a more stripped back version of Ideas as Opiates. That's all. Oh, fine. (laughs) Okay. It's not, it's not, there's nothing more to it. Apparently it's a previously unreleased version of the uh, album track that was accidentally included here instead of the uh, um, version on Mad World. Mad World's got 
I think two versions of uh, yeah, it's got some version of ideas of opiates and it's got saxophones of opiates. Yeah, and that saxophones of opiates is literally a saxophone, and it's just yeah. it's just weird <laughs> and wanky, and I don't like it. Um, whereas this is just like yeah, an alternative version of this more stripped back ideas of opiates. Nothing to get too excited about, no, and then change. None of these are, to be honest. Um, new version. Yeah, new version. I don't mind it. So they've kind of upped the EQ on the high end. It sounds like they've made it a bit more crisper, um, and it's slower. Um, and there's a bit more of a twang about it. And there's some alternative synth bits. Um, it's okay. It's for me. It's not as good, um, but it's different. So. Fine. Is this the one that's got some different lyrics on it as well? I don't, I can't remember. I haven't uh, written it down, but it's possible. Um, Suffer the Children remix. I think this is from the 12-inch of the single. Yeah. Again, they seem to have stripped it back even further from the original, <laughs> um, if that was possible. And I, can't, I couldn't really tell much of a difference here, to be honest. It's the original version, but just worse. And if you could think of it any worse, it's probably the worst <laughs> of the worst. <laughs> pale shelter long version yeah uh oh, pale, so there's a pale version new extended version and then a pale ver- pale shelter long version so pale mm. shelter long version is too long <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's all right they've got some extra they've got some extra guitar bits and there's a bit more just generally added to it the choruses come and go and they, they go on a bit longer um it's just outstaged its welcome by the end of it. I'm like, yeah, fine. Get out of it. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to... It's like, I get it. I get it. We don't need to be like... It's like it's, it's like hearing like a dad band live where they're just like wanting to do like a bit more wanky stuff in the middle of like a one of their songs. And you're like, I don't want to hear this. Like, I don't know why you want to just like, <laughs> wank all over each other. Just do it. Play the songs that we want to hear. Stop showing off. Get on with it. Dick. There's nothing amazing well, going on here. Okay, it's been dismissed as dick, <laughs> but yeah. that's the that's the that's the uh, reference to the long version. Uh, Mad World, World remix. Um, I'm going to be honest, Dan. I I couldn't really hear much of a difference. I don't even know this. I don't think. Have you not listened to it? Not done your research? No, I, no, I haven't. I don't think. This was on any of the uh, original singles. I think this is something they've chucked on there. Um, it might, I don't know, to be honest, but um, it literally might just be a remix. Whatever. It's in like, they've, they've not, they've just changed some of the levels maybe, but I, can, I remember listening to it going, oh, is it over? I didn't notice anything, so. Change, extended version. Yeah, they've, the what I said was the best middleweight of all time they've made worse. <laughs> Um, because they kind of do a very weak version of it. And then immediately yeah. after, they, I think immediately after or some point afterwards, they do the proper one. So it just kind of loses that effect and just sounds a bit lamer. Um, yeah, again, it's just like, I'm, I don't like hearing songs with fat on. Like, I don't mind. It's like, oh, here's an extended one. And it's a nice to have, but I will listen to it once as a curiosity. And yeah. I don't really want to hear it again. I'd rather have the version that stripped all the fat off. Um, I presume this was probably done for the 12 inch because this was the the era of the 80s, like 12 inch extended mix, wasn't it? Right. So it was just like you had a lot of songs, especially if you listen to those Depeche Mode 12 inch versions that are really like arbitrarily extended just, you know, because they needed it to suddenly be 
seven plus minutes to justify the length of a whole side of a, a 12 inch single right yeah that makes sense um i seem to remember i think it's this one i get confused by all these different versions of change it might have been new version but there's one that's got some quite cool extra bass stuff that i like where it gets really like quite funky yeah um it might be it might be this one there's I've, uh, i think i remember this yeah they do um they do add some bits. I don't know if it's like a funkier bass, but possibly. Yeah, yeah. funky. That, it gets very funky. And then it's like some quite um, surprising pauses and then it's like back in. Yeah, maybe. It might be this one then. Pale Shelter, new extended version. Pale Shelter, new extended version. Um, scroll to it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've got, it's got some weird intro I've put here with a piano and like some reversed vocals or something. Um, but I can't hear much of a difference from the extended one once it gets started, to be honest. The long version, you mean? Yes, sorry. The thick version? Yes, exactly. Anything to say about Suffer the Children instrumental? Um, If you think the worst of the worst can get any worse, how about listening to it without any vocals on it? (laughs) (laughs) Why does anyone want this? It's not Uh, not even a song that you could, well, maybe people do do karaoke to it, who knows? (laughs) <laughs> just completely unneeded like what a waste of a track let's just strip the vocals out and release it as another track fuck it so lazy who wants it who's asked for it have you got an instrumental for Suffer the Children oh. I think people like that put it out I think again it's padding from the uh, original 12 inch single and I think it's just a convention right because um, DJs would want then stuff uh as instrumental versions so they could mix it into other tracks. Stop putting logic to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Change radio edit. Yeah, whatever. They made the end a bit shorter. Wino. Wino is just, Wino is just Roland and an acoustic guitar. Um, It's like he just wants to be like the Pogues (laughs) or something. (laughs) Just play in the corner of a pub. Um, This is so bad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. It's just, it's literally about being a Wino or a tramp. Um, or homeless person, as I might say in America. Does wino translate to America? Do people call them winos? I don't. I think it's a British term. Yeah, maybe it's a British term. Yeah. But basically, it's kind of like a tramp. It's a it's a tramp that's drunk, as I was associated with. Like yeah. a drunk tramp is basically a wino. Yeah. Um. This, but this is like one of the genuine B sides of uh, the hurting era. Um. But I, I think it's really interesting because it's totally different to anything yeah. else they've ever done. Yeah. You're right. Um, it's you know, like a microphone the in a room kind of thing. It's like literally that kind of, like, it doesn't sound like it's properly produced. It just sounds like he's yeah. just playing into a mic. It's like a little snapshot of, you can imagine, you know, they've done The Graduate and they're working on this new band. And it's funny to think, uh, maybe he would have tried, I don't know, tried this out. Like, oh, should we do this? I don't know when this song, it feels like it might date from an earlier period and, Maybe they just needed a song to put on the B side of um, "Suffer the Children." Yeah. So he's like, "Oh, here you go." It's like, but a it's really, uh, yeah, it's it's very uh, weak. I always think, right? This is kind of going off on a tangent, but like, yeah. when I think about like the montage of Heck and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and Nirvana, um, specifically Kurt, and um, so I always think if there was like, like it's not going to happen now because I'm too old, but. You know, you become a big famous rock star or whatever, do all this stuff, and you're very particular about what's released. And then someone like releases all this fucking shit that you like <laughs> did in your bedroom in between whatever, like when you're like 15 years old or something. 
Yeah. And it's like, why, like, you know, why are you, why has this become a major release? <laughs> and I just think oh, yeah. it's something like this where it's like, you know, you want to make sure your brand is consistent or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the new Nirvana album is made up of tapes that we've just fucking scraped off the floor of Kurt's apartment or whatever from his grave yeah. and stuck on. It's all a bit weird. And I felt that, yeah, when you were saying it about with this song, I'm just like, you know, and to think that it's like this throwaway song, or whatever, is coming back on the re-release of like one of their albums. There's a new Tears for Fears track or whatever. Probably like it, I wrote it in like five minutes. Like it's just a piece of shit that I just had to throw out there. Anyway, it's funny though. You'd think that you know this was their first seven-inch single, um, and usually when you get going is when you've you've had all that time to build up an actual body of work, and you mm. can cherry pick. You know, you've got your A side. You can pick something bloody good to put on the B side as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose because they got signed so quickly, mm. they didn't have that material. So, yeah, and like you said, it was kind of like let's get some singles out and get going. Yeah, it and see how that goes. Very, yeah, very quick. So let alone um, like they just needed good songs, let alone fucking B sides. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can imagine get some of those. Oh god. Um, then we get another legit B side, um, the conflict. Yeah, what do you think you, of this did one? You hear this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do remember this, this one from back in the day. Uh, yeah, what, what do you reckon about it? It's very slow. I've put it, there's lots of like weird sounds. It basically doesn't really sound much like a song. Um, <laughs> but I did put cool drums in one part. <laughs> <laughs> so I must have, I must have liked like five seconds of it. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's made much of an impression. No, this was the B side to change. Um, I've never really enjoyed it that much, to be honest. Yeah, it's a bit just wishy-washy. Yeah, a bit nothing. Yeah. It does sound sort of like underdeveloped and underproduced. Again, it's like, come on, Roland. We know you've got good stuff in the can. Come on. Give us something good. Get out. But you see this more and more, I think, on songs from The Big Chair. Because um, there's even more like B-sides for that album. Mm. And all of them kind of say um, was not produced under them. Mm. So like songs like Pharaohs, uh, The Big Chair, When In Love With A Blind Man. Because mm. all the other, like the A-sides are all like, you know, produced by blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it took like years yeah. to get those songs done. And then all these ones say, like really like making a specific point was not produced. Um, <laughs> which always used to puzzle me when I was out younger. Like, you what does that mean? Yeah. How is it not produced? It's here. <laughs> um, but I think he, yeah, he, he used those B-sides to like chuck out weird little scraps and doodles, basically. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I like really used it as a chance to experiment and just like see if like some stuff would stick, basically. Yeah. Well, this one didn't. <laughs> We, well, this one does. Yeah. We are broken. Yeah. Um, um, what did you think of uh, <laughs> this one? This one was uh, was quite the surprise because, um, yeah, we were just saying how I listened to it on Spotify and it was broken, revisited. Yeah, um, they bungled it. It's very different. Um, whereas this is, uh, I, I mean, I should say, um, so on Songs in the Big Chair, 
like Broken that goes to Head Over Heels that goes to Broken Revisited is probably my favourite part of the album. Me too. Um, yeah, it's just fuck. And the fact that it ends with like it live, weirdly, and then yeah. goes nicely into the... Which is the synth bit that their synth guy just came up with. Um, and then Roland put some words to whatever. <clears throat> just, yeah, just great. But I know we're not talking about that album. But um, I hadn't heard this. So this is basically broken um, and a really rough version of it, but it's all there pretty much. Um, and it was the B-side to um, the reissued 1983 version of uh, Pale Shelter. Yeah, yeah, which means I have this. um and i've clearly either not listened to it properly or can't remember um and yeah that was really good like one it's a really great song but you're right yeah i think they obviously had that they were like we should tidy this up and make it into a proper song and i'm so glad they did and that must be where head over heels came from yeah because obviously it's got still like that i did wonder that like yeah because when you listen to songs from the big chair it's like i wonder what came first do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wonder how one came to the other. Um, interesting. Yeah, um, really it's good. such a cool song. I think it's nice to have this, uh, like, hurting version with the, like, more, mm. you know, the, like, smaller synthy kind of, uh, kind of one. Yeah, uh, that was a good one. I enjoyed that. Um, and then Suffer the Children demo. I've not heard this. Um, it's, weirdly, I think it's better than the original. Huh. Is it? Um, but it's, it's fine. Nothing to get excited about. Nothing to get excited about. I do think that the fact that it's a little bit more, um, amateur basically, um, helps it if anything. So fine. I'll give it a listen. Um, and then are you familiar with these radio sessions? No, I did. Um, I did listen to them a little bit, but, um, You've you've missed um you've missed a key song, or are you doing that on purpose? No. What have I missed? The way you are. Oh well uh, mm, that's not on the box set, I don't think. I think it is. Isn't it? It's on no. the um, It gets added the, to some of the like it's been on some of the remastered and expanded ones. I wasn't gonna uh, talk about it, but um No. Well it's a good it's a go good ahead. half step. I think it's a good half step to Big chair, and yeah. what, as you said, what was coming next? So talking about the the future of what was going on, um, it's very like poppy and light, um, and I do I really like it. It's a great um, it's a great track, and it's uh, it's cool that they you know they released this. Um, it's got really simple, catchy chorus. Um, I love the harmonies, uh, and the yeah, there's an extended version, <clears throat> which is a bit more wanky with some of the synth sounds. Um, uh, it's a bit padded out as we've been talking about with some of these extended versions, but um, really super catchy. And uh, yeah, I think it stands up as its own song. I like the fact that it was this like little hidden thing though, that like I only really came across um, once. Well, basically when the, I suppose when the 1999 uh, reissue or whatever came out, it was the first time I heard it. I think I, I knew about it and we, but we didn't have it. And I, I remember when I found um seven inch single i think in a charity shop i was really excited yeah that makes um, sense. and um i gotta say i don't like it all that much um you know that darker stuff edge is gone 
but it hasn't but yet been replaced by some of the i think like quality songwriting of songs from the big chair i know they don't like it yeah um it's very it's very simple that's the thing it's very easy and simple yeah. but i just quite like basically for me it's about the chorus and i like the way <laughs> the it's layered yeah i just like the way the vocals layer with each other and um again doesn't really sit right and yet kind of works but yeah it's a bit of a silly lighter song compared to all the heavy stuff i've just been kind of listening to yeah it got to number 24 so it did did okay Mm. um funnily enough yeah that's um in my mind's eye that was the tour to support this single and they didn't include it on the uh, <laughs> on the video that got released. Yeah. Um, oh well. So yeah, the radio sessions. Um, well, obviously you know. I was going to ask you if you could figure out what they played. I think it's quite interesting. Um, you know what yeah. they've obviously selected as their kind of like. So, yeah. Well, it's a bit of a mixture. It's not just the pill sessions, right? They've got some of live stuff. Well, they did, Locked yeah. So they did a they did one uh, John Peel session, uh, yeah. September nineteen eighty two. Yeah. Uh, then they did a Kid Jensen session, right. The next month. So for Peel, they did Ideas as Opiates, yeah. Suffer the Children, yeah. The Prisoner and the Hurting. Awful um, selection, apart from the hurting. It's strange, isn't it? I. Um, so I think like September 1982, when did Madwell come out again? September. Yeah. So that, Madwell came out later that, that month. Yeah. They so didn't they didn't play it. And yeah, which is bizarre. Um, I wonder how much of the rest of the album was, was written at this point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, maybe this was like yeah, all they had. And then mm. David, David Jensen, Kid Jensen session. Mm-hmm. They do the prisoner again, and they do the hurting again. Weird, yeah. Um, but then they do memories fade and uh, start of the breakdown. Good, good selection. Better <laughs> in just like what a month's time. Yeah. Um, those two. Like, did you have any impressions on those versions? I didn't listen to them. No, Sorry. I haven't listened to them recently either. Um, I downloaded these ages ago. So sorry, everyone. Um, these two live tracks then start the breakdown and change, which I think are from the Way You Are single. Okay. Um, it's nice to hear what they sounded like live at this point, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think it had to be very much curated. Like they had to figure out um, how to do, as I think I was saying this earlier, figure out how to do all this live. Um, and I think that was you know, good for them. Pretty cool as well. Um, I imagine to, you know, be working with the band and doing all this stuff. It's nice that it's still synthy though. You know, it's, it's yeah. synthy, but there's like, you know, live drummer and other stuff going on. Again, in the next phase, that would be kind of like toned down the synth side. Yeah. 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 So that is nerds corner. That was the bumper nerds corner. Yeah. Um, which means yeah. it's now time to give, our final impressions. Yeah, final impressions. So, whose turn is it? Is it Dan? Is it yours? I think it is, isn't it? Mm, maybe. Because I did Jimmy now. Oh, right, yeah. 
terrible. Um, I'll make it easy. Just give us your like Roland voice. Um, oh, that's quite hard. Have a think about it. I'm going to give you my final impression, which is quite simply, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, I think it is a <clears throat> staple for 80s pop and is one of the most um, impressive and daring uh, debut albums of all time. And it's just incredible. Uh, and it really, like, you know, set um, a new standard, basically, for, you know, uh, pop, but also, like, 80s music and the idea of being, um, wearing your heart on your sleeve about this kind of thing, like intellectual pop music, basically. Um, there's, there's no, you can still like croon away like your Morrissey or whatever and full of lament and at the same time have a dance about it <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, it's just, if you haven't listened to it, you should do, but just really sit and listen, you know, sit with it for a bit and listen to it and um yeah in a dark room if you wish or <laughs> wherever <laughs> or wherever but um yeah i highly 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 recommend this album maybe like songs from the big chair is an easier entryway into tears of Fe- fears for some people but you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't um give this a listen well i think we were doing our thing the graduate and it wasn't very good and so we did Tears for Fears and I think this was a really good album that we did and I think it's very underrated and actually if you really like going back and listening to 80s synth pop that you can dance to uh, but also use to express some of your deep emotions then I think you'll like the, the hurting but maybe it didn't have the impact that it should have had because other bands, Depeche Mode took all the glory, even though we got big in America. um, For some reason, people only remember songs from the big chair. And because an arsehole called Gary Jules and a knob end called Michael Andrews had a Christmas number one with Mad World. That's all they think we did before songs from the big chair. But if you've got any taste at all, you should listen to The Hurting. Thank you. Um, that was pretty good. It started <laughs> off well. It kind of just ended as you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, definitely, I definitely could hear it, at least, at least to begin with. <laughs> Cool. I mean, well, it's a Bath um, accent. I don't know. You did well, though. I don't uh, know what it is. You sounded like sounded, <laughs> no, not taking any anything away from that. Um, reviews. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so let's go and just check out some some of the user reviews. I hate it. All right. So I've got a few here, Dan. Oh, I've well, got loads. Um, I'm just gonna. I've got a couple because I know we're we're kind of going on a bit now. This is from K.L. Naylor, three out of five stars, not as good as expected. It's a subject line. Ordered this after watching a rerun of Ashes to Ashes and was a little disappointed at the quality of the album. Only a couple of really good tunes. The rest are fillers. That's sad. <laughs> um, 
this is a more positive one. This is Muk One, who gave this five out of five. By far their best album. Yes. Fast delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this is Billy Shears who gave this five out of five. Generally speaking, people um, enjoyed this album. Um, I think that's the only negative one I could find. That's still only three. Um, this one, the subject is should have bought it when it came out. What, in 1983? Okay, hold on. Simply my favourite Tears for Fears album and one of my favourite albums of all time. It is one everybody should own. I decided to buy it when it came out in 1983 but never got around to it. Oh, well. <laughs> 25 years later, I got it. Better late than never. Oh. This is one of his favourite albums of all time. And he was meant to buy it in 1983. <laughs> and then he got round to it. And then he got like, round to it a quarter of a century later. Got round to it. <laughs> busy doing picturing this guy like... His mother's given him the pocket money. Can you just pop down the shops and um, can you pop, pop down the shops, Billy, and, and pick up that that hurting? <laughs> that hurting? Yes, yes, mum. And then he's like, some like wily fox in a top hat has come along and <laughs> tricked him into parting with his money. He's gone home empty-handed or with a magic bean or something. <laughs> there you go, mum. <laughs> There's the bean, mum. Where's the fucking hurting, you bastard? Twat? <laughs> yeah. I'll show you a fucking hurting. Um, <laughs> this is Bish. You gave it five out of five. Uh, subject, my number one fav kind of subs me up in one hit. Lol. Do you love Tears for Fears anyway? Brilliant talent lyrics and music, amazing voices. I start, mean, interesting. Start of this is great. In brackets, well, this is Ben's mother. <laughs> Don't know who Ben is. <laughs> No idea, Dennis. Um, but he got plenty of this anyway on vinyl. Love the 80s music, but T4F, which I'm guessing is Tears of Fears, but T4F are my forever fav. Saw them live and amazing. This album is one I just relate to and pretty much says it all. Awesome voices, a spec Roland, gives me goosebumps. And live, wow, have that relate to appreciation, respect thing going on with all stuff. But I guess when this was released, it hit me on a personal thing and was so comforting. Always has been to know those lyrics were real, heartfelt, and, you know, didn't feel so alone in the grand scheme of things. One I often have ready to play. Brilliant. Can I have a break, please? What? <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, that in brackets. Can I? Have, that was in brackets. Can I have a break, please? Jesus, that was it. That was it. Um, so that was it. <sighs> wow. I think the it's quite interesting reading the like just on the Wikipedia page the reviews. Um, really, really insightful. Actually, critical ones. Yeah, like at the time. Um, like how badly it was received in some quarters of the uh, pop press. Mm, I think a lot of people thought it's really wanky. Yeah, or just dismissed it as like, um, well, this guy, the enemy said, um, bunch of whinging. Uh, yeah, tears for fears sound like they've given up completely, retreated 
uh, from the practical world into a fantasy. Doom-laden dross you'd expect from the lyrics rehashed and reheated hollow doom with a bit of ultravox and diluted joy division. Um, that's what I like about it. <laughs> it does sound like they've retreated into this like yeah. weird little world they've made. That's what's great about it. Yeah. True. It's just a different time. He probably liked, you know, uh, Slade or something, this guy. Yeah. Gavin Martin. There you go. Bloody Gavin. At least we've set the record straight, Sam. Exactly. Really this have. will now stand for all time. The final word on the hurting. We do. I, I haven't got anything more to say about it. I do feel like that's it. And if people like it, go and check it out, read up about it, do whatever. Um, and go check out more Tears for Fears because there's a lot out there. Um, and that's it, Dan. So should we choose what we're going to do next? Yeah. It's a, game. it's a game next. Oh, God, I hope we get a Mega Drive game. <laughs> We've Please. got a couple on there. Oh, my God, Dan. We haven't. We haven't got a 10. Oh, I ruined it a little bit there. We haven't got a Mega Drive game. We have got, and you're going to love this, Day of the Tentacle. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> I do love that game. It's great. And I played it fairly recently. So um, I can talk about it with, uh, you know, without having to um, rely too much on my memory from when we played it as kids. I've still got the CD-ROM, but because Microsoft are evil... They've made the computer be so that it can't load it anymore. That's a shame. You can get it fairly cheap. Anyway, these days, the remastered one. They've done all all the, uh, they've remade all the graphics and all this stuff. Mm. Cleaned it all up. It's really good. Well, I can get that for PC or something. Yeah, yeah, sure you can, yeah. Um, Can I just play it online? So an emulation or something? I want to play it. It probably. um, That's that's illegal though. Um, I won't be doing that, obviously, but it's just, yeah. Well, funny enough, a lot of these um, double final, you know, LucasArts, I should say, stuff, um, Daily Tentacle, Full Throttle, and another one, uh, Grim Fandango, the remastered versions, are available on Xbox Game Pass as of this week. So it's only just randomly, it's kind of tied in. Um, I'm not going to go back into it because I've already did it fairly recently, as I said. But for anyone out there who wants to play it before they listen to us talk about it, uh, go ahead and do it. And it only take you about, I mean, realistically, six to eight hours. It's a fairly short game, really. Um, especially if you, you know, you get stuck. You shouldn't really be stuck. There's a couple of puzzles that, you know, like all these kind of point-and-click adventure games, that, well, how the fuck was I supposed to know that? Um, but you can look them up instantly now rather than when back in the day when we would just be, be rely on the knowledge of someone else or, or just try everything. Um, yeah. So there like we go. Day bringing up all your friends. Do you know anyone that's played Day of the Tentacle? Yeah, has anyone completed it? <laughs> knows how to like... get past the George Washington's cherry tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that and stuff. like six months later, something like, oh, I met someone who said they've completed it and this is what they did. <laughs> yeah. But like, tell me. Um, yeah. But Day of the Tentacle is great. And yeah, so that's it. Thanks, cool. guys, for uh, listening. And yeah, Dan, where can people find you? Dreadful Dance Discs on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're about to hear the message that we put at the end of all these tracks. But yeah, newwinter.net, part of a New Winter podcast network. Check it out. Um, have fun, everyone. And Goodbye. Yeah. Is it an horrific dream? Am I sinking fast? Yes. Mm-hmm.
you for listening to Oddcast Movies, Music and Gaming. If you want to get in touch with us or get a movie, album or game put on our list to discuss, then email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com or a newwinterpodcast at gmail.com. This is part of a New Winter Podcast Network, so head on over to anewwinter.net to check out our other shows. You can also follow us on Instagram at anewwinter, Twitter at anewwinter, and you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash anewwinter. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. yahoofinance.com